This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred Philippus. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayer. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 111. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Donovan. This is Joe. I'm about to kill both of you. <laughs> and this is Stella. We are bringing you the latest uh, news and comic book reviews from the weeks of February 17th through March 2nd. We have only three books that we will be covering on this episode. Um, but the big news is the stuff that happened in Batman Incorporated, number 8. So we will talk about that when we actually get to the book. But uh, actually, it's not even something that we can hold off on talking about. At this point, everybody who's listening to this podcast has probably either seen in some way, shape, or form the news about what actually happens in Batman Incorporated number 8. And it is something that I can say that some people were not expecting. It is, in fact, that Damian Wayne is dead. Um, <laughs> well put, well put, well put. I, I don't really want to ruin the book for those of you who haven't read it, but unfortunately we have to talk about this now before we actually get to the review and recap later on because of some of the different things that have happened because of that announcement of it happening. So first off, I want to start off by saying that it was announced two days before the book even hit shelves that Damien was going to die in the pages of Batman Incorporated. Yep. Um... I'm not a huge fan of that happening to begin mm. with, but I do want to say that I do understand why it did happen. Um, when it first was announced, and I read it, the uh, article, I believe it was the New York Post that uh, revealed that, I did. Inf- I was pretty pissed, and I was we were commenting on the, the Batman Universe Facebook group about the article being posted up before the book even hit the shelves. And I was pretty pissed about it, but I think the thing is that I started thinking about it as time moved on, and I thought to myself, how many times have we seen, just in the past couple months, stories, story endings get leaked online the day before the book actually hits shelves? And then in turn, you know, where's the publicity for it when the publicity is actually released the day that the book is, is actually on the shelves? So I want to say that I understand why they did it, because they didn't want the ending to leak before they chose it to be revealed, but it still sucks that in today's day and age that we can't go two days without finding out the ending of a story before it actually happens. So, I know Joe has some stuff to say about this, so I'm going to let him go first, because he wrote an article on the website about it. Yeah, he was mad. Yeah, um, I mean, I was really upset by this. I I don't go on the source all that often, I just decided to check it out, and then so, oh yeah, by the way, Damien's dying, and it's not like there is any way of avoiding that. And I kind of, I mean, I've been trying to think about this and be like, why why would they do this? And I kind of get Dustin's point about, you know, wanting it to be their thing to reveal, but at the same time, it was two days, and if it gets spoiled, then that's a shame, but it's not going to be on like a major news network, or it's not going to be on the DC main page, so you could avoid that. And then... I mean, I don't know who this benefits. 
I guess they'd sell more, but it's not like they've gone to uh, the comic shops and been like, oh, this is happening, order more copies because you're going to sell loads. It's just two days before the issue is supposed to sell. So I've heard that, you know, the book did extra well in stores, but they didn't order any more. So, like, for one of the least popular Batman titles, uh, just because it's so out of continuity, I've heard that it's not actually selling that well. So, you know, if a store only orders, like, I don't, I don't know how many copies that they, they, they might sell out, but you know, that's not any, they're not going to get that much more money from it. So I don't know who it benefits. So you heard that's not selling well? I've heard that Batman Incorporated, uh, especially with the new 52 group of readers, it's not selling well because it doesn't feel in continuity. Um, I, I, you know, this was something that I remember, uh, was always a possibility in what's going to happen. So the idea of it wasn't very foreign to me. I heard that there were big spoilers concerning, um, Batman Incorporated of the day of, but I, I wasn't spoiled. Uh, Josh, you know, our, our friend Josh over, over, you know, from the older episodes had told me, do, do not go on the internet because Batman Inc. was spoiled. But by, but throughout the day, I kind of figured it's probably Damien's dead. And it wasn't too hard for me to figure out. And I, and I just kind of looked on online and said, yeah, that's it. Um, I, this, this is the thing. I can understand if it's spoiled all over the, the day of or even the day before. This was deliberately spoiled like days before people could even read the issue. That's sort of what I have a problem with. Um, get your alcohol out because I want to mention Marvel because I think this is relevant. Marvel's been spoiled, has story, story spoiled for years now. The death of Captain America was spoiled for me when I was at school. Um, Spider-Man, uh, unmasking was spoiled for me. Um, you know, like, like Spider-Man dying was spoiled for me. It's like a lot of things were going on, uh, and a lot of things happened in Marvel that, that ends up being spoiled, but those are because of leaks. The issues were leaked. This instance, from what I gather, was DC going to the press and talking about an issue that they did not release yet and spoiling the heck out of it actively. And that I have more of a problem with because, you know, that's a big story point. It's not like, it's not like, I don't know, Bruce Wayne's parents come back to life. You need to check out the story. It's uh, an occurrence in the story that, you know, you want to read in the middle of your story. I mean, I understand why they're doing it because comics don't sell, frankly, as much as they used to. And they could use the publicity. I understand logically why it happens. I really wish it wasn't so, though, because that really does feel just disingenuous to me. I mean... I forget what newspaper it was. I think it was USA Today that interviewed Grant Morrison over it. So they they, fo- they knew full and well what they were doing. They were just completely spoiling their audience. And I don't really like that. That, that kind of burns me more than the actual death or issue ever really could. But I know that I don't have a lot of room to really be mad because of the way they kind of need to get, garner their audience. It's just kind of like, you know, well, dang it kind of thing. But uh, I wasn't happy that it was spoiled. But uh, I, I really wanted to read the issue, if nothing else, which I guess was the po- whole point of it. Yeah, I unfortunately, I, this is the reason why I, I normally stay away from, uh, the internet, especially on comic day and everything like that. And it must have been Monday that I walk into the workroom and out of the blue, and I'm the only person who reads comics, uh, you know, at my school basically. So I the, go into the workroom and out of the blue, my colleague says, did you hear CNN reported that Robin was going to die? And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm like, Wait, what? That like out of the blue, just like this is where you're going to tell me you're not even going to say hi. Just Robin's going to die. I'm like, what do you mean, Red Robin? He's like, I don't know. They just said Robin. So of course you've got someone who doesn't read comics 
is just throwing out this blanket statement that could mean anything. Um, so I was like, I wanted to wring his neck. Uh, and then, you know, I have to go to my room and I Google and then see that, you know, Damien's going to die. And then I was like in emotional turmoil the rest of the week because it really did hit me hard. So <sighs> the the only good thing I can say is that because it was spoiled for me, I think when I actually read it, because I waited until like Saturday to actually read the issue, um, it wasn't as like uh, <laughs> emotionally traumatizing as maybe it would have been had I read it for the first time and not known anything. But I didn't appreciate some random Joe telling me that he is dead and then I had to go on the internet to figure out what's hey, going on. Hey, I didn't on. do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, you know, when you look at the solicitation for the issue, all it says is everything Grant Morrison has been planning since the start of Batman Incorporated leads to this stunning issue. You must not miss this one. And the interesting thing is the cover that they show for the solicitation is actually the variance cover, not the real cover. The real cover says RIP and has Robin on the cover. So to me, I find that kind of interesting because, you know, they... You know, we said this before when we reviewed Batman Incorporated, how this, how the, they, DC has not really been doing this series the justice that it really should be because it is the final part of Grant Morrison's Batman tale. They really haven't been doing him justice by basically focusing on every other possible aspect of the Batman universe except for his book because it is kind of out of continuity, uh, in some way, shape, or form. We will, we probably will never actually know what is and what isn't. But the, I mean, just comparing, like, like Joe said, the sales of the book, just going off of January's numbers since February's numbers haven't been released, pretty much every single book, every main book that we review here on the podcast, had sold more copies in January than Batman Incorporated. Um, we have ahead of it, we have Batman the Dark Knight, Batman the Ro- Batman and Robin Annual, Red Hood and the Outlaws, Teen Titans, Nightwing, Batgirl. Batman and Robin, Detective Comics, and obviously Batman as well. So, I mean, like, every single book's outsell the Batman Incorporated. And we're talking, like, pretty decent difference. Batman sold 145,000 issues. Batman Incorporated sold just over 50, or about 50,500. 50, so, I mean, that's a that's a pretty big difference in, in, in the book. And, you know, how many times have we said that this, you know, they're just not giving this book the publicity it needs? So what do they do? They decide to do uh, a publicity blitz by basically saying, "Hey, here's here's the the opportunity we're going to give this book to really shine by two days beforehand, telling everybody, hey, guess what? The story ends like this. That's the case. So we'll, we'll talk more about the actual story when we get to the review and recap. But uh, the things that we need to talk about in relation to this news that I referenced before was that the same day that it was announced that Damien was actually going to be dying, there was an interview that happened over at Comic Resources talking with Peter Tomasi about the future of Batman and Robin title because at that point Damien was announced that he was going to be dead. So I do want to read through this entire interview, which is going to be kind of long. We I know we haven't done an interview for a while, but... I think it's important because there's a lot of stuff inside of this interview. So I will read for Comic Resources, and Joe will read for Peter Tomasi. At this point, there is very little that we know except Damien will soon die in the pages of Grant's book. That's going to have an immediate impact on the Batline in general, but 
on your series in particular. What was your first reaction when you heard of Grant's plan? I threw my hands up and yelled, Come! Actually, I knew Damien was going to die for quite a while, but my reaction, truthfully, was, Damn, he's such an interesting character, I'm like, and one I love writing. The hope there's some way that Grant, over the course of time, will change his mind. As we'll see in Batman Incorporated number 8, it was not to be. With Batman and Robin, how did you approach dealing with the death of your co-star in the pages of another series impact your approach moving forward? What was the first story you knew you had to tell when you heard the news? I approached it knowing that I had an ending to work towards, and as I mentioned earlier, it gave me the freedom to keep our story centred on the hearts and minds of Bruce and Damien, and not worry as much about the villain of the month angle. As long as we focused on that, I felt we were being true to our mission statement, which can, which everyone can read in the back pages of the first collected volume, Batman and Robin Born to Kill. Now as a writer, I'd be lying through my teeth if I said I didn't care that one of our main characters was getting killed off in another series. If Damien had to die, I would have loved to craft that story. But Damien was Grant's baby, so he deserved, and of course earned, the right to bring his character to be fated, to the fated doomsday he'd been working on for so many years. The first story I knew I had to tell after Damien's death would be Bruce's reaction in Batman and Robin number 18. It's an entirely silent issue. No text, no sound effects. Storytelling at its purest form. Show, don't tell. And holy crap, does Patrick Gleason show why. In my humble opinion, he might be one of the best Batman artists ever. He knocks it out of the park. I think issues 17 and 18 of Batman and Robin show just how much Bruce needs Damien and Damien needed Bruce. And the reverberations of Damien's murder don't stop there. There are five stages of grief, and we intend to explore it in a very visceral way. The title of this series for the next several issues will change, the first being Batman and Red Robin, the second being Batman and Red Hood. With you bringing Tim Drake back into the fore in a major way, how does Red Robin joining the cast most impact the partnership at the core of the series and the emotional fallout from Damien's death? What's your impression of Tim as a partner as opposed to Damien? I wouldn't jump to conclusions that Tim Drake is coming back in a big way. Red Robin is in issue 19, but not necessarily as a partner. Tim Drake originally appeared a few years after Jason Todd's murder to make the argument that Batman needs a Robin. Does this New 52 version of the character hold the same kind of thematic weight to this story? I think you're going to need to wait until issue 19 to have an answer to that question. I will say that I didn't wait. I didn't want to take the usual road that's been travelled when it comes to Batman needs a Robin angle. Overall, I'm sure that there will be more than a few readers totally freaking out at this news, even as there's plenty of story yet to be told by both you and Grant. What can you say about why this story is one of one that needs to be told for the Batman line at this point? That's a tough question at this juncture to respond to. Let's just say there's a big, epic picture in view over the horizon, but there's plenty of lightning storms and hurricanes for myself, Pat Gleason and our partners in crime, Mick Gray and John Calise to still fly through before it all becomes clear. Alright, so that's the end of that interview. The reason I, I think it's important to talk about this is because, one, um, we're recording this on March 4th, and today it was announced over at Comic Resources that the next five books, um, starting with issue number 19, are going to feature another a different character with teaming with Batman to basically deal with the grief of Damien's death. It's going to be um, Red Hood, or it's going to be Red Robin in 19. Number 20 is going to have Red Hood. 
21 will have Batgirl, number 22 will have Catwoman, and 23 will have Nightwing. Now, that's all that's really been announced as, as far as that. There's, it's the, I mean, it's just who he will be teaming up with in the next few issues. But um, I think it's interesting. There, there's, there's two things I want to talk about. Number one, why is it that um, if Death of the Family was supposed to drive the wedge between them, I guess it only <laughs> took about three weeks for Damien to die and then to get all back together again. Thoughts uh, on that? Uh, we actually talked about this like, like uh, before recording. Uh, I forget. I forget if it was Stellar or Joe who said that perhaps the death of a little boy might bring them back together. Um, I agree with you in that that part was done. That that entire point of death of the family was incredibly mishandled, and I don't think that we have to like pretend that there's any legitimacy to it because it was so mishandled, unfortunately. So I'm not really concerned about whether it ties into that, because uh, it sounds like it's just not going to. Um, on the interview, I am really, really looking forward to these issues. Um, Peter Tomasi uh, has so many more pros than he does with Cosmic Me, and he really gets at the emotional core of Batman and, and his partners. That's what Batman and Robin was all about, and it's interesting because I was thinking about this a lot before, like after... Uh, ink was boiled, and then I read it, and then uh, before this recording that, this is the first time in my life that I, you know, my Batman uh, reading history, um, or really, I should, I should, I should amend that, really in the podcast, because Stephanie, whether you want to count or not, that we've had like a dead Robin, or, you know, a, a dead, consistent, long-term Robin partner. And it's, you know, this is a big thing, and um, how should we respond to that? Because in, in uh, when Jason died, I mean, obviously Batman was kind of loopy for a year, um, there were a couple, couple of issues where he was like, down about it. The issue of New Teen Titans where Dick goes to talk to him about it and gets punched in the face and he kicked out of the Batcave. But, um, this is sort of a, this is sort of a new theme because since then the Bat family has, has extrapolated and sort of expanded to so many other characters. Like, so I'm I really am interested to see Batman team up with his other characters to kind of help him get along with them, especially him and Dick Grayson. Since him and, I mean, Damien and Dick were the dynamic duo for like, Two years, I think. And, uh, we see in Batman number eight, you know, Damien really appreciated working with him as a partner. So I am very, I have high hopes and I low expectations that, that this will disappoint, that this will turn out to be really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I kind of, um, I get Dustin's point and yeah, it was me who said that I can understand why the death of Robin would then bring them closer together. It's not like they're going to be like, yeah, well, you were a jerk, so I'm glad your son's dead. <laughs> so I, I I get that. I'm also looking forward to most of these issues. Some It'll be interesting to see how some of them play out. Like Catwoman, for example. I hope it's not like, oh, here, Batman, I'll make you feel better. That's how I do things. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I Like with, with the Dick one and stuff, it'd be really interesting, like Don said, you know, Dick and Damien were Batman and Robin, and then to have like Bruce and Dick sort of share stories about mo- like fond memories I have of Damien being Robin and stuff like that, and and keeping it all uh, on an emotional level and keeping that theme rather than anything else. And I think it could really work. I also like the honesty of him saying, "Oh yeah, Red Robin's in the issue, but he's not what the issue's about." So 
Thank you. Yeah, so. so then the the other thing to just tie into this bit of news is on March first they re- they released the covers for uh, the Batman line, and basically the covers are how the characters themselves are actually dealing with the fact that Damien has died. Um, these issues aren't coming out till June, so to me it seems a little eh. Um, but nonetheless, um, I guess three months later doesn't matter. But uh, let's talk about some of these issues. I know that there's some of them are are kind of interesting and worthwhile to talk about. The one that really strikes me is the Batgirl one <laughs> because Barbara's like, "No, not Damien. He was my best friend. <laughs> he had one day till retirement." Um, and I thought about it. At, um, I said to Osborne, "When exactly has Barbara ever interacted with Damien?" <laughs> I mean, even like pre new pre new fifty two. I don't think she ever. As Oracle ever talked to him, ever, uh, she's probably mentioned him, but it's just funny. Maybe I'm missing. Maybe in Batgirl, when uh, Stephanie was Batgirl, she may have interacted with him. I don't remember. But um, not that it matters. I'm not going to say Barbara's out of character for crying that he's dead. Blah, Gail Simone. Um, these are good covers. I mean, I think the Nightwing one. I, I have mixed feelings of that one. I think it's good that you know Dick has sort of a, a uh, you know, pain expression on his face. But um, I don't want it to turn into a, a whole you know, it's all my fault kind of thing that. Kyle Higgins kind of plays it with him with. Uh, the Batman one is really good with the Greg Capullo drawing empty boots and the Robin over, over. I think the Robin is a bit too on the nose, but the empty boots are really, really nice. Um, one thing that, uh, uh, the Catwoman one's kind of, uh, confusing. The Teen Titans one. Uh, only if you read Teen Titans would that it make any sense. Um, I think these covers are interesting in that, like, it's not just, oh, Robin is dead, but that Damien is gone. It's more Damien than it is. I think Jason was so often remembered as the dead Robin. And I think that, like, no matter what his actual personality was, I think that Damien left enough of an impression that I think most of the, most of the characters, excuse me, and most of the covers and the issues reflect upon that more than so, then, whoops, another Robin died. So it's a, it's a long, it's a long way from the bloody Stephanie cover from Detective Comics a few years back. I, um, I, don't think that the Nightwing one works uh, thematically with the others. The rest of them seem to have like a, a tone and a theme going through them, which works well. Uh, Cat one one to an extent doesn't quite work either. Neither does Red Hood. But I think the most offensive one to me is the Nightwing one. But I understand his reaction. Um, the thing that's bothering me is you look at the date for the Batman number eighteen cover, and it says Capullo twelve. So he's, he did this in 2012. I am now petrified that this is why we have Harper Row. And, cause I mean, that was issue 12. That was only five months ago. And it wasn't a Capullo drawn thing. So they could have got, uh, it was Becky Clune, I think, to, to do the art for that. And it, I mean, of all people, Snyder would probably know about Damien's death the soonest because he's sort of the, the big dog at the moment in terms of Batman. So I'm petrified that after a few months, it's going to be like, oh, well, I need a new Robin. There's this girl I know. <laughs> hey, this is Runaway I ran into once <laughs> that, that I don't want to talk to you ever again and keep on telling her as much. Let me make her the new sidekick. And I do, I, I do want to take that back. These are the covers for issue 18, which I wasn't thinking about. And the I think they're all variance covers for next month. Um, and that's why they're there, but 
my comments on these issues are one, Catwoman has absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> of course, coincidentally, it's driven it's drawn by Tony Daniel. Tony Daniel has been known to have nothing to do with anything else. Um, I don't like the Nightwing in one at all. I think it looks absolutely stupid and ridiculous, and I absolutely hate that expression on Dick's face, and we've seen that I don't know how many times yes, since you are right. this series has started. Yes. Um, quite honestly, the, uh, the <laughs> Batgirl cover to me, I, I mean, besides the fact that Damien's part of the Bat family. We have never really seen Barbara interact with Damien. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I am pretty sure we have never really seen them interact with each other as far as like working side by side or working or you know partnering up for a one issue story. Anybody? Because I don't think that's ever happened. She's. I mean, they've been in the same scene together, like uh, in that infamous death of vocal issue where she says, "I'm to I'm letting everybody in and on the secret except for Cassandra Kane." And then uh, death of the family, where like they're in the bat cave and Bruce wakes up and like he tells them all about the Joker in the cave. Like they've been in the same scene, obviously Batman Seventeen, but not. But the two of them have never actually worked together. She's oh, just yeah. there by. She's just basically she knows him by association. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with you. I've never seen. I've never seen them share any dialogue between them two. And, it, and like, it's funny because one, that's interesting that, that the writers never got around to that. But two, it's, it makes, it makes the, it makes the whole Bat Family, you know, the Bat Family theme that they've been pushing a lot in the past year more hollow than it has been because it's like, these characters don't interact. You know, you can say that about the last set of Bat Family characters, but these characters don't interact at all. At all. And I think part of the problem with the bat, the back row one is that they need to have a back row have some sort of impact on Damien. And the fact is that it wasn't Barbara, it was Stephanie. But Stephanie doesn't exist anymore, so they can't do it. But I think that that would have been an amazing issue, uh, just because they've had, they had those interactions in the back row series. And like I said, you know, on that special, she really helped him grow and to, and try to actually be his age. And I think that she would be the one that was crying and everything. So again, we've got, uh, Gail Simone, I feel like trying to, to shove Babs inside of, uh, a Stephanie Brown outline and it's just not going to work. Uh, to be honest, I am most turned off by the Teen Titans. Uh, cover. I'm surprised no one's mentioned that. <laughs> no, I was, I was going to. Yeah, this, the, yes. just the fact that Tim Drake is like, correct me if I'm wrong, him. but he's grinning. He's oh, got. Yeah, he is. And that just like, I mean, I know there's always like this rivalry between the two, and you know, Damien went on his sort of like his his hell spree of like trying to knock all of the different Robins off their pedestal, and he really went hard to to at Damien or at Tim, but. I don't think, I mean, there's not really a place for that. I think that even if you are a rival with someone, the Bat family is, in fact, a family. And I think that he would also be hurt, maybe not to the extent of Batman, of course. But I'm just like, oh, okay, this one's to, worse for me than the Nightwing. Do you want me to spoil that for you? Because there's a legitimate reason why he's doing that. I guess. Uh, in the latest issue, like, it's like, you know, post-death of the family, like, you know, the reaction to death in the family in Teen Titans... Apparently, like, Tim's, like, taken over by Brother, Brother Blood or Raven or some oh, T-Kind's villain. Like, that's, that's, that's because, like, he's acting, like, he, he, like, he, like, kisses Wonder Girl and kisses the other female on the team. Like, I was like, what the heck? And then at the end of the issue, you realize that he's under mind control, so that's why. 
Spoilers. Yeah. That was that was also talked over on the uh, the Batman Universe Facebook group that was mentioned. The the other one that I do want to bring up is uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Um, because to me it doesn't make a lot of sense. We see <laughs> nothing makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> we see Jason Todd <clears throat> with a bunch of blood on the wall, somehow making the symbol of a bat, bullet holes riddled into the bats, dripping blood down the wall. But then we see everybody's bodies laying on the floor, including Damien's and Batman's and Roy Harper and Starfire. So to me uh so he kills everyone. Because Damien is killed, or does he kill Damien too? I, I just that, that that entire cover just doesn't make any sense. Um, Jason Todd is the angry Robin, and he uses guns, and Damien chops people's heads off with swords, and angry, angry, and they kill everybody. And that's all they're whatever. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I thought uh, the recent issue of Red Hood and the Outlaws was actually really good, and there's a really nice scene between Damien and and Jason. So, I mean, I can see Jason having a reaction to Damien. But that, that cover is completely mystifying. It's like, first of all, how is that even going to get you to read the book? Because it's like, you know, the reaction to the death of Robin. And Jason's like gunned down everybody in the Bat family. Is that really like, I don't, it, that kind of, to me, insinuates really bad writing. It doesn't insinuate an interesting story. The other one, just briefly to mention, uh, World's Finest number 10 is actually included in this too. That's nice. And I, and I, I, and I would say that, you know, it's not worth including, but they actually, Damien did appear in World's yeah. Finest for a couple different yes. issues. So, I mean, like, um, to me, it makes sense, even though they didn't have as big of a relationship. He actually was working with Huntress outside of being attached to Batman's side, like Batgirl. So, in my mind, World's Finest makes more sense uh, for them to be mourning than, than ba- Barbara Gordon mourning in Batgirl. Before we move on, I do want to comment on Joe's mention of Harper Rowe because um, I I probably shouldn't mention this to the review, but I think that really, because of the way, and again, because of the way the Bat family is now, where we still have Dick and Tim, and now Jason, um, and we'll probably get into it, but, so I'm not sure if I want to start a conversation of this, but I don't think there should be a Robin for a while. Mm-hmm. And if even if there's going to be Harper Rowe, I wouldn't mind if she came, became Robin eventually, like Stephanie kind of did, but I would say at least three years before we even consider uh, putting her up, her or anyone else up to the mantle. So I, I truly hope that like she's not inserted for a long game of making a, a sixth or seventh Robin. The thing about Harper Road to me is, if it actually does come out to be Harper Road was created to replace Damien, I'm going to be pretty pissed because... You know, I I had no problems with Harper Rowe as a character, you know, just by herself. It's just, it's it's all very too coincidental at this point uh, that she was created around probably the same time that everybody would have been finding out that Damien was going to be dying. And we also know that Batman number 18 is supposed to have a story um, that Harper Rowe is supposed to be a part of. I can't remember if it's 18 or 19. I think it's 18. So to me... It just seems very coincidental, number one. But number two, if if Scott Snyder created Harper Row to be the replacement for Robin, then anything that he said previously about, oh, Cassandra and Steph were just trying to figure out a way to bring them in, just goes straight out the window. And I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to believe much more that he's going to be able to say because if he created the character to take the place of Damien, when he had these other characters that not necessarily could have taken the place of Damien, but could have at least, you know, he could have used the character and just retooled them in a way to make them Harper Row, just 
not the, not the name Harper Row. I don't know. This this entire situation, I mean, it's going to have to unfold over the next couple of months before I really pass judgment, As even though I already really passed judgment on death of the family. And turns out that, you know, I just have to say the, uh, the best headline on DC Comics' website was, this just happened, a death in the family. And it was posted on March 1st, and it talks about how Damien died. Huh. Death in the family, death of the family coincidental that it comes God bless. <laughs> two weeks apart. I don't know. I just, I, I'm so tired. This entire thing just, you know, just ticks me off about this. But anyway. This is a conspiracy. <laughs> also, don't forget, uh, it's not just Harper Row. I mean, it's fan favorite Harper Row. So, yeah. yeah it's been like 1.2 issues. Okay. So the only other thing to really, uh, mention real briefly is that on February 21st, it was announced over at USA Today that beginning in June, one of the series that we're replacing that will be will be replacing the six canceled series that were canceled um, when we talked about last month um, is going to be a new Batman and Superman title. It is actually said to actually follow the two's first interactions. To me, it seems as if we've seen this, done this. I don't, God knows how many times. Uh, you know. They're, they're saying that this is supposed to take place where Batman, between Batman and Superman before, uh, there's, there are whole stuff with the Justice League happened, which, wait, didn't we already see that in the first six issues of Justice League? Um, I, I just, to me, I don't really understand what the point of the Batman and Superman title other than Batman's been a hot character for a long period of time. And in June, Superman the movie is coming out, or I should say Man of Steel is coming out in theaters. Superman so the movie was in 1978. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm, a, I'm about, uh, you know, f- f- 35 years off. But uh, um, nonetheless, the you know, I, I, I see why they're doing it. Batman's a hot character. Superman's going to be hot because of the movie, so why not release the series? It's also the same month that the uh, new Superman series by Scott Snyder and Jim Lee is going to be coming out, too. So obviously they're trying to really expand the Superman line um, for the release of the film, which to me is fine. We we won't be covering the Batman Superman title um, as of right now. I have no intention of covering it. We'll be looking for someone to review it on the websites, but we probably are not going to be covering this on a uh, monthly basis on the podcast just because Batman Superman meeting for the first time. I mean, if, if, uh, if, if Josh Bertoni was here, how many he'd be he'd be you know flipping out. <laughs> he did flip out. I talked to him on the phone. He was mad. <laughs> so, nonetheless, so that that's happening. So, I just figured I'd tell you. So, two of the six series have been revealed, at least as far as I know. One of them being the Superman series by Scott Snyder and Jim Lee, and the Superman Batman or Batman Superman titles. So, um, we'll have to wait and see. Before the next comic cast comes out, the solicitation should be out, so we'll see what the other other stuff is. Um, and probably while you're listening to this, they've probably announced some of them. So be checking the website to see if anything related to the Batman universe is actually coming. Alright, so our first book is Nightwing number 17. Oracle, the plane! Chill, Batman. I sent up a flare. Robin's on his way. Maybe you didn't get the memo, Oracle, but I've been going by Nightwing for, oh, about a decade or so. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I can't remember that. Written by Kyle Higgins, art by Juan Jose 
Rip. Hmm? I'm going to assume that is Rip. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, Alfred and Dick contemplating on the events of Death of the Family. Dick is getting his uh, shoulder sewn up by Alfred, who seems to be put on some weight since he dealt with the Joker. Um, after he promises that he is, in fact, all right to Alfred, he takes off to Client Industries, where he uh, gets Raya's body and gives it to Commissioner Gordon, telling him to please do a rush on the forensics to find out why, in fact, all of the members of the circus are able to be cured, except for her. Um, as he is sitting in the hospital with all of the members of the circus, it is he watches on TV that, uh, in fact, she had a different actual type of formula that was found inside of her compared to all the other members of the circus. Um, as the members of the circus begin to wake up, they all blame Dick Grayson for all of this horrible stuff happening, except for the little girl who insists that none of it's his fault. Um, we then cut to Amusement Mile, which for some odd reason is still on fire after all of this time, and the firemen are still trying to put it out. Dick talks to Lucius Fox, who basically says that the insurance company is going to pay for the bank loan, but uh, all of the money that you put into Amusement Mile is now up in smoke because you risked it all. We then cut to uh, two days later where the funerals of Jimmy and Raya are happening, and as it turns out, Sonia Branch and her bank paid for the burials because Dick Grayson has no money to pay for burials himself. After they have very odd exchange back and forth about whether or not... Um, about her father and the last time they met and how they kissed and it was weird for Dick. <laughs> we suddenly see uh, Barbara Gordon appear out of nowhere. For some reason, she decided to attend the funeral <laughs> of two people she has never known. And she talks to Dick and basically gets a, I guess, six-issue catch-up by saying, Is that Sonia Zuko? Are you going out? And uh, then she proceeds to say, Well, that's... Uh, only assuming that you got, you can look past the fact that her father murdered your parents. But you've always had the gift of not dwelling. And she proceeds to continue to call him Richard, Richard this, Richard that. And then he proceeds to tell her, I wonder if the Joker meant all of this all along. He let all of the circus members live only for them to all leave me after this was all said and done. We see Damien lurking in the shadows, which I forgot to mention has been doing since the beginning of the series, or the issue. Uh, later, at Amusement Mile, in the ruins, we see three um, heavily armored men uh, trying to get into the ground to get something, and Nightwing pops out of nowhere and decides to beat the living heck out of them, and I'm talking, he is probably doing a little bit more than he ever should be, he's really releasing his anger, since we don't even know what these people are doing other than they're trying to get into the ground, mm -hmm. When all of a sudden Damien grabs his fists and and uh, stops him and proceeds to, the two of them decide to take off and leave the bodies lay there and uh, go galloping around on the rooftops. And Damien proceeds to tell Nightwing that he, there's no way that Dick is actually fine just because you've been burned by people you leaned on. It's going to happen regardless, so... They agree that they need to do this more often, and they talk about playing video games together. Damien explains that he always liked he always liked working with Dick, and Dick takes off. We then cut to a couple days later, 
where we see uh, some trophy cases and some men who is revealed are the men that Dick Grayson actually was beating up. And they revealed that they come to the dealer, and the dealer is only looking for specific trophies, and they pull out a Nightwing costume, the, the Flying Grayson's Nightwing, or Nightwing-esque costume with the Joker uh, face painted on it with blood. Uh, then at the end of the issue, which I normally wouldn't talk about, but it does mention Nightwing, we see the Channel 52 <laughs> update. And I, I'm only mentioning this because there is one headline that she talks about where it says Nightwing sightings in Chicago, which unlike Gotham has a zero tolerance, tolerance policy for masked heroes, have led to the mayor's official, uh, the mayor's office to release this official statement. The city of Chicago does not endorse violence in any way, but our police are cleared to apprehend any target they deem a threat, especially those of a costume variety. Um, now, Justin, you're from Chicago, is that true? I'm just going to say the crime in Chicago, if there was some superheroes here, it might be a good thing. <laughs> Wait till it gets hot. I'm, all I'm going to say is uh, the dead of August, when it's hot as heck, our murder rate goes skyrocketing. But um, I don't really care whether or not the mayor says that or not. I find it interesting that it's actually revealed that Nightwing is moving from Gotham City to Chicago in the backup feature, which isn't really a backup, whatever you want to call this the Channel 52 update at the end of the issue, it's actually announced that he's moving to Chicago in the update and not in the actual issue. So that is Nightwing number 17. So the first thing I want to talk about is the art. This is the first time we've seen Juan Jose Rip, and I assume that he's filling in for an issue. Um, we know that Brett Booth is right around the corner, so he's probably just one of the artists filling in the gap between Eddie Barrows and Brett Booth. Um, but thoughts on the art to begin with. Before we actually talk about the story, I just want to get the art out of the way because personally, I thought uh, there was a lot of aspects of the art that were really, really, really bad, and I want to know if anybody else thought so. Now, I don't know if it's the colors or the really gooey, heavy, like you know, weight on the paper inks. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't not like, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't care for the art. I didn't outright hate it. I didn't think it suited this book. Uh, I think the artist has its own style. I think the artist uh, is decent, but like for this book, I it just it just didn't work. It, it didn't work at all. There's sometimes like when Nightwing was uh, punching the guy in like, the helmet at the end, and he hits him so hard that he knocks the glass out. The glass looks like pebbles coming up of the thing shot. So like it's it, it's I don't know things were shapes weren't <laughs> really what shapes weren't really what they needed to be. Uh, I thought Dick's face looked kind of bad sometimes. I thought Damien's mm -hmm. face looked kind of bad sometimes. Um, it just felt, it just felt like there was too much emphasis on certain aspects in the art. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame it on the inks. And the inker was, uh, Mr. Mr. Page Loading. Uh, Robert Bonet. I, I thought the inks really just, I actually kinda like the colors now that I'm looking at the, the first pages, but the inks were just too, too cartoonish. And the art didn't do the story a lot of favors. Yeah, I was looking at this and wondering if it was bad or I just didn't like it. And I don't think that... I don't think it's actually bad, but I think, like Don said, it doesn't suit the story. It's a pretty bland style, but there's some aspects I actually like. There's a lot of detail in the background, which is quite uncommon nowadays. 
and some of the panel layouts and and just the cinematography of the issue the the um the the way the characters are laid out in some of the more action scenes I actually like but I not so keen on the facial expressions the he he draws lips quite heavy this this artist which uh often looks odd and um yeah dick doesn't really look like dick damien definitely doesn't look like damien but i i don't think it's it's bad art i think that on another book this artist would probably you know uh, it would probably work better but i think it doesn't really work in this issue my thought on the art is that i thought that I didn't like any of the faces at all. I didn't think that it was all absolutely horrible, because like Joe said, I did like all the detail, because we never actually see that. Like, when Dick walks up on Raya's body and we see the shattered windows in the background, I mean, there's a lot of windows there, and they are all shattered, and they all have different patterns of how they are actually cracked. That was really interesting. The uh, shots of Amusement Mile up on up in flames... That, again, was also very interesting. That's something that, even though it's normally just a bunch of fire, you can actually see some details that you normally does, aren't, isn't always focused on when people are drawing things like that. Even the scenes where um, they're in the cemetery, there's all kinds of detail with the grass and the leaves, and I thought that was great. The faces, on the other hand, for, I don't, there was absolutely no characters except at the very end of the issues when the pages were drawn by or when the pages were done with uh, the dealer and his henchmen, those were the only faces that I actually didn't mind, because, well, for one, all of the henchmen, for some reason, looked like they had the exact same faces. And the dealer doesn't actually have a face, because it's covered with a mask, um, except for his eyes. So those were the only characters I actually liked in the issues, as far as uh, drawing goes. Um, when they were in their costumes, I don't think it was that bad, um, as far as what they looked like. Damien's face, well, faces in general were were the low part of it for me. Um, like I mentioned during the review, Alfred, for some odd reason, packed on probably about 20 to 30 pounds and is much more hefty than we've ever seen him in any other issue since the New 52. Um, but again, whatever. I didn't think, I, I actually thought that uh, the drawings of Barbara Gordon and uh, Sonya Branch were okay. Um, I like the fact that they actually showed uh, movement with the actual wind in their hair and stuff like that. That's something that we don't always see except when they're jumping around on the rooftops. So it was nice to see that as well. Um, but overall, I think just I, I'd like to see something different as far as the art goes. But um, I think that like they like my other my other co-hosts have set, stated that this could have worked on other books. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about is uh, some of the story elements. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that um, do you believe that Damien was put in this issue in the role that he was because it was right around the corner of him dying? Or do you think that it, it actually comes across as natural, not knowing that he's going to die in one week from this, this issue? You know... Um... It could be both. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I know that Tomasi knew that Dan was going to die. I'm not sure. I suppose they would have told everybody if they were going to be polite. Um, personally, I don't think it matters because it does work well. He and, I mean, if he was in Batgirl <laughs> or in Teen Titans, I think it would be odd, but Dick and Damien have a history. So I think that, like, uh, I think that Damien is showing up because he notices something wrong with Dick 
and really wanting to sort of, you know, get it out there with him and, you know, discuss it with him makes a lot of sense. So we could say, we can kind of be cynical and say, you know, oh, this is only because he's dead in the next issue, or it's a way to sort of deal with the aftermath of death of, death of the family. But I think that aspect works well, so I don't really have a problem with it either way. I think it kind of, it feels a bit odd, probably just because we know, you know, in the context, we know that Damien dies. Um, so it feels a bit like he's just being put in here because of that. But I think it does kind of work. And at least I know that I almost forget the history between them sometimes. So <laughs> I kind of want to say that if Damien wasn't dying in Batman Inc., then he probably wouldn't be showing up in this title. But it, I think that it would, what, you know, it, it kind of works in this issue anyway. So you, even if that isn't the case, then it's, it's probably a good call because we don't really see much of them together. I think it especially works just because in Batman Inc., uh, perhaps one of the touching moments is sort of right before Dick and Damien go off to fight. Um, Damien's twin, he, he, Damien admits, um, that Dick was always his favorite Robin. And I mean, we, we saw before that Damien was, that Damien, he had this rivalry with all the Robins. He really wanted to tear them down so he could be the one Robin. But I think in his heart, he always had a special place for each of them. And I think this shows that there always was this this um, really nice and, and loving kid deep down. And he was worried about Nightwing. And so there he is sort of checking up on him. But I think it works well just with the death and that. I think it'd be more random if it were somebody else, like Batgirl. I'm going to check up on Batgirl and watch as James Jr. attacks her but not do anything. Um, because they don't have a relationship, but but then we see, like, he really liked him a lot. So, Okay, so then my next thing I want to talk about is the interaction between uh, Sonya Branch and Dick, and Dick and... Uh, I do, Barbara. too. Um, so, we haven't seen Barbara in Nightwing since... Well, she cut her hair off and handed him a piece and said, I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> and then we've, we, they obviously dealt with each other in Death of the Family, and now we see this this odd exchange between Sonya Branch and Dick where Sonya Branch doesn't know what to say because Dick basically, you know, told, you know, decided he couldn't be with her because he suddenly realized that uh, her her father killed his parents, so... Um, let's talk about just the, the three of them, and really, in my mind, I, I want to talk more about the Barbara situation, since it seems, to me, out of place. <laughs> what the hell is her problem? What is her problem? She shows up to, like, you know, whether whatever Raya was, she was somebody that Dick knew as a child. So she shows, she, she just crashes his funeral, you know, dressed accordingly, which I guess she, she can be at least that polite. And, like, all she can ask is, like, oh, are you dating that girl now that you just talked to? As Dick is in the throes of agony and angst and sorrow. And he says, does it matter? And she says, well, you know he killed your parents, right? You do know that, right? Oh, well, I guess, you know, that's why you're you. You don't dwell on such kind of things. First of all, Barbara has no idea what it's like to have a dead parent in this continuity. She doesn't. Not even, not even kind of. Second of all, it's just, like, the f***. I mean, she comes up and, like... What is she? Gonna, what is she trying to say to Dick? Like, what? What is? What is the point of her talking to him? Is she going to say, like, you know, like, are you going to be okay? Like, you know, I know you. They were close, or you know, like, all you say is, are you two dating? Well, if you are, I don't like it, and if you and if you aren't, I don't like it either. It's just like, I mean, this scene, honestly, I I don't like, I don't like using derogatory language to women. That's just, I really don't. 
But Barbara Higgins is in this scene, and I blame Higgins for this. This is not a Dale Simone thing. I don't know what her problem is. Because all she is doing is just being a negative, a negative douchebag. And there's no reason, I mean, she says the next page, it's going to be okay, Richard, which is incredibly irritating. But, it's just, it's, to me, it's like, you know, oh, well, Dick's going through a hard time, so of course Barbara would be there. But because Barbara's a strong, independent female, supposedly, she has to be the most, like, annoying, angry character ever. I mean, this just really made me mad. I mean, this didn't damage the issue for me, but this just, this, this really outraged me because there was no point for it other than to have another scene where supposedly Barbara gets one up on Dick because apparently Dick's doing something wrong where all he, all he is is sad and just, I hated this. I hated this so much. Well, she's not being a nice person for sure, but I think that's just the sign of uh, someone who has feelings for somebody else. You know what? <laughs> little jealousy, little jealousy thing is popping up. I think, and 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 you know, once Dick is showing interest towards somebody else, she's uh, even though it was her. Why is she there? Why, why wouldn't there? you that's go? Wouldn't you go to if 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 one of your good friends, like a family member or something, died? Wouldn't you go to support that family member? If, but she's not. She's not related to Rock. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. But she's there it. for she's there for Dick to support if, him. But if, why? If, but why is if, she there if, for Dick after their last? Let, let, me, let me say this real quick. If uh, <laughs> Gregor died, that, that was decent, right? And Barbara was there, and oh, Dick showed up. And like, uh, I don't know, what's the kid's name? Ricky showed up and like, they, he walked, he talked to Barbara and he walked away. If Dick, the first thing that Dick said was, are you two dating? And Barbara says, like, does it matter? And then Dick says, well, I guess Barbara, you try to move on things, so I guess it doesn't matter. Every single reader would call Dick a jerk because of that. But and, except it's not as bad as this because at least Dick exactly. would be going like, ha, ah, your parents are dead. It's like, I mean, if, 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 if Stella don't me and went out with somebody and they died and I, I showed up to the funeral and told her off like that, like, there's no way to look at this other than Barbara being, I don't think she's at all unsympathetic or even reasonable. I mean, I, I can see why she would have gone there to show support for Dick, but the first thing she can say is, oh, are you dating? I mean, how, how high school can you get? Well, not only that, but she's at the funeral of somebody that she was, da- that, that Dick was dating. But it's not only oh, Raya's funeral, it's it's the funeral of all the people who died in the Healy Circus, isn't it? Yeah, no, we're, too. we're saying that we understand Jimmy and Raya, that's it. We understand why she could go to support Dick, who's her friend and Dick's upset. But then why would I, she no, go I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with that at all. I don't think that she should be there whatsoever. I just, I, not even as support for Dick, because that entire thing just doesn't make any sense. She doesn't like she She know, didn't meet Raya. Put aside put aside put aside anything that's happened in the last couple of months. The two of them have not been on speaking terms mm-hmm. at all. Then you put in death of the family, and well, if it's the death of the family, they shouldn't be talking with each other anyway because they all don't want to work. Okay, with each well, other. hold on. Just your- so, but like I said, even if you put aside all that stuff and say, okay, fine, death of the family, maybe uh, they just don't want to work with Batman, but they're okay with working with each right. other. Okay, that's fine. But what's the sudden need for Barbara to meet up with Dick after the last time we saw her in this series? It was her chopping her hair and saying, leave me alone. Okay, first of all, I think you she are starting to take the, the scene a, <laughs> a little out of context. It wasn't like she said, I never want to see anybody of, of the Bat family again. Basically, from what I got from that, that, that innocuous scene was, she wants to be a solo spot crime fighter. I didn't, get, I, I didn't right. get the point that she was never going to like talk to them. Like, they, were, they, were, they were on like a no-talking zone. So No, no, I, I'm not saying that she she's saying that she didn't want to talk with them. She just basically said, I'm off on my own. Leave me alone. Uh-huh. And and as we've seen in every Batgirl issue from there and every other series, 
she hasn't been involved. She does not interact with the other members of the Bat family. She does not inter- we haven't seen her appear in any of the other Batman books except during Death of the Family when her Joker bits were happening. To me, I, I, I just, like, the entire thought of using Barbara Gordon in, in this entire universe seems completely out of place. So for her just to appear here after she's not been involved with anybody just seems out of place. Yes, you could say that the reason why she's doing it is because she's trying to support him because they just went through this whole giant fiasco with the Joker, and maybe that brought them together, but isn't that the complete opposite of what was supposed to be achieved by Death of the Family? Was Well, it's not supposed to bring remember them that she did meet Raya once in an issue of Nightwing that came after the whole, here's my hair, and this is all you're going to see from me for a while kind of issue. So, I think she set a precedent of, of seeing Dick once in a while. I don't have a problem with her showing up at the funeral. I just have a problem with, like, like, just how she talks to him. It's just, and maybe it's because of the art. It could be because of the art. Because look at that panel where she just like grits her teeth and you know furrows her brow and just like just tells him off while he's like you know, I mean, there's everything in the context of the scene is nebulous in in terms of excusing her behavior, and it could be just misinterpreted art, and it could be like you know we're misreading the tone of the dialogue, but there's no, I mean that's 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 assuming. I mean, we're going off of like what's being said here, and this is why we're having this discussion. Hmm? What is her problem? I've got a couple of things to say. Are you done? But no, You're go right, right ahead, please. please. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you, but you know, I'm looking at this. Uh, number one, I think that perhaps she's worried about him, like getting getting mixed up with this Sonya Branch character. Who knows? You know, just knowing that she is related to Zuko, perhaps there's just like this negative stigma. So Babs is looking out for him, but it's just coming off in a really bad way. And the other thing is Babs old pre 52, pre new 52 Babs had this way of saying things that really sort of doubled over into being like this hateful comment towards herself. Cause she was having a lot of issues at the beginning of her Oracle career. And so saying, but I guess that's why you're you. You've got the gift of not dwelling. Think about how that reflects on her, how she's been dwelling for like this entire run of Batgirl on like losing her legs, on Bat- on Joker, on all of these different issues that have come up. So in a way, it's almost an attack on her, um, herself. I, but then, I don't know. I guess that you could possibly read that. The art would definitely dictate that she's saying it angrily. If it, if she was drawn with a different expression, then I could possibly read it as you read. But going on what we have, she's just kind of, like I said, I think it's really spiteful, she said. I can see the scene, I can see this whole, the whole time of the scene being played differently. If like she were like, uh, having this sort of like self-deprecating smile and like looking down, I guess she got the gift of not dwelling. Cause it's sort of like, you know, like a backhanded compliment or, or whatever. I, you know, I, I'm mainly blaming the art, and this could be just a misinterpreted thing. But um, I'm exa- sorry because I, I can see the same dialogue happening, and her not not really meaning to snipe at Dick. And I, and I guess the only problem, if that were the case, we you know well, why she's there. I guess that's Devson's problem. But because uh, I because I, so, I guess this really is sort of like down to basic cold hard facts of the the hard copy of the issue, not you know a soft copy of the original intent of Kyle Higgins. Um, and, and, and honestly, I hope it is a mistake because. There's no, there's no reason. All right. So overall, Nightwing number seventeen. I'm going to give a total of three out of five bad eggs. 
I'll give it three out of five, but three out of five better rings too. I actually kind of liked it, but I'll still give it three out of five all the same. I'll also give it three out of five best rings. You know, I guess I'm surprised. I'm going to give it a higher rating of four. I actually enjoyed this issue. I know. I'm so sorry. I, I, but I think you probably enjoyed it because of the relationship between Dick and Damien, more so than all the other Yeah, that, so that is certainly by true. The between Dick and Barbara. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, there were certainly yeah. questions like who, who the heck were these guys and why Nightwing sort of runs in and automatically assumes they're up to no good, uh, cause that wasn't really explained. But I thought that the entire issue had sort of an emotional impact on it and actually went sort of answer the question why Joker was going after Nightwing in this manner, um, more so than it did for Batgirl, at least, and, and other peop- other um, books that we just weren't sure what Joker's motives were. So I at least liked that that part of the question was answered. All right, so it's going to give Nightwing number 17 a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman the Dark Knight number 17. Good evening, Miss Pleasance. I'm here to help you forget your recent heartbreak. Gotham can be a wonderland, Dallas. Batman the Dark Knight number 17. Um, battling back a wonderland of madness. Yeah, that's going to be funny. Um, <laughs> cal- uh, written by Greg Hurwitz, illustrated by Ethan Van Skyver. This issue begins where the last issue left off. Um, we see Mad Hatter doing what he does every other of a few issues of selling hats on the street. And um, a little boy wants to get one. The little boy's kind of mouthing off. He's like, Mom, I want the blue one. No, I want the green one. So the Mad Hatter's a bit annoyed and uh, uses his mind control technique to have the kid punch him in the face, which I honestly found pretty funny. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, we cut back to the Dark Knight as he's using his science to figure out where the Mad Hatter will strike next and figures out that the Mad Hatter is essentially uh, making dummy companies to sort of look around for people that he wants to kidnap for who knows what sick and insane reason. Uh, he relates this knowledge to Commissioner Gordon, and eventually Commissioner Gordon is talking uh, to, to the window when he says, oh, this is the part where I turn around, you're gone. And Batman's like, no, I'm still here. <laughs> and then he kind of awkwardly leaves, which again, I, thought, I found really funny. Um, I cut back to Mr. Lazy Eye and, and uh, the out-of-character, out-of-design uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum where they kidnap another person. The woman's begging for her life, wanting to leave. But this time, Mad Hatter actually enjoys her cries of help for some insane reason and lets her off to live and tells her to get into costume. Then we see a flashback of him in an unspecified grade in school where there's a there was a girl named Alice, who, who he always likes. It's always an Alice. And um, uh, this, is, uh, this clearly takes place in like the 70s, uh, considering the fashions. But... Uh, we see little Jervis Tetch, you know, minding his own business when uh, a bully spits in his food and says, eat it, Tetch. But uh, contrary to what you might expect, the the bully actually gets reprimanded by the other kids and beat up and says, leave our buddy alone, which was a nice surprise. So we see that Jervis Tetch is the son of a haberdasherer uh, uh, who works at Tetch and Sons Haberdasherie, which uh, for those of you who don't know what a haberdashery is, is a hat shop. And he's telling uh, his son all about the the style in which the hats are made, and explains where the term "mad as a hatter" came from, which I, again, I really like because it legitimately means there used to be uh, mercury and uh, made in the hats, like the, the felt of the hats, and would make people minted. So we see in the stillness flashback, Jervis asks the girl out to go to the park, and she says she'd love to. Um, we come back to a horrible reality where Mad Hatter 
is you know uh, ordering all of his workers to make the hats and make make the costumes all straight. He notices a small uh, slant, a forty at a forty five degree angle, but it's really thirty. And um, a nearby worker says he doesn't see the difference. So uh, the book takes a, a, a turn south, where we see Matt, Matt Hatter's ugly face saying, "No, let me help." <laughs> As he snaps the man's <laughs> neck with his bare hands as though he had the strength. Um, cut back to the Batcave where Batman's suiting up and putting his shirt on sexily. And um, at one point, Alfred says, oh, where's your uh, latest girlfriend? He says, what are you talking about? Natalia's gone. But she was special. She was different than the others. And Donovan says, whatever. <laughs> um, so the next plot is at the Children of Gotham Pediatric Hospital uh, park or party or whatever, where Tweedledee and Tweedledum... Uh, Rather easily kidnap this, this stupid boy uh, and shoves him in like this cage where they want to take him to a van. But the Batman shows up just in time to save them and punches one in the face. They run away because it's Batman and the boy has a fun time in the Bat plane. So they run and tell the Bat Hatter that Batman spoiled their plans. And we get another flashback of young Jeffrey Tetch's date with Alice. So they go to this uh, Wonderland inspired theme park uh, where. um. We see uh, Ethan Van Skyver's art go all over the place because it's Alice in Wonderland, appropriately so. And they have a really nice time. And Alice even says, you know, this is sort of a pity date, but she actually had a better time and she uh, she enjoyed herself. So Jervis Tesh was on top of the world that day. Uh, but then at that point, I say, boss, Batman's involved. The Batman? How? And um, Batman's trying to have a fix on where Mad Hatter is, but we find out that their hideout is like several miles under... Uh, secure concrete so uh we end with batman saying well screw this we're going home and uh mad hatter of which we all saw this coming starts to say the rhyme twinkle twinkle little bat how i wonder what you're at as he starts to uh drink tea and that tea must be laced with lsd because he starts seeing visions of crazy batman and alice all over the place next that and the bats collide so that was a. Uh, a recap done by Donovan and Stella. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, I like this issue. Uh, I like the last issue, but it, it was severely uh, derailed by the Mad Hatter's 252 incarnation. But uh, I like this issue a lot. It was really solid. Um, I suppose I'm kind of you know getting ahead of myself. But uh, basically, this is a really straightforward issue. It's very linear. Batman's doing some investigating. The Mad Hatter's a plotting. But really, to me, the only thing to sort of like kind of be introspective about is the flashback. And how we see Mad Hatter's childhood and the reversal of the usual. I was totally expecting him to have a horrible school life. And I was expecting, like, when they got to his father, I was expecting his father to beat him up, you know, Jim DiMatteis style. But uh, it didn't happen. So what were your guys' thoughts on the flashback and how it sort of informed Mad Hatter and who he is today? Um, I thought it was kind of interesting that um, even though most villains have this origin where they were treated like crap when they were kids, so they... They grow up and they decide to take the power into their own hands and do that. It was kind of different. I almost got this feeling as if uh, this is what the Mad Hatter believes happened and isn't what actually happened. But I don't. I, I don't really understand. Like I don't know how. I mean, obviously, he's going to have something happen where he's going to turn because it doesn't seem like he had that bad of a childhood based off of these flashbacks. But the interesting thing to me, though, is I don't know if anybody noticed, but did anybody notice in the flashbacks he didn't have? He doesn't have a lazy eye. Thank God. (laughs) So I'm wondering if, in fact, uh, Don said mercury. It's actually it's actually nitrous, 
um, that was used to shape the hats instead of actually being in the hats. But I was wondering if maybe he something happened with that and he was using that stuff and he screwed up like his father told him never to do and that's how he ended up getting the messed up eye and maybe becoming a little bit mad. Um, we also saw the reference to the T, which it's it's they they've they did this before and I, I talked about this the last episode we reviewed the last issue of Batman the Dark Knights about the coffee that he had, but he they've done this before where he has teas that do similar things to the mind control, but it's a different aspect. It's not using the hat; it's using the tea. So I mean, I thought that was kind of interesting. Basically, everything that happened in this issue that we complained not that didn't happen last issue, such as. The references to Alice in Wonderland and the references to Alice and all the references to what makes this character this character happened. Um, the <clears throat> Clearly, the entire thing that he's kidnapping these people for is some sort of tea party. That's what I'm assuming, based off of the decorations and the tables and things like that. It seems as if he's creating a specific, very perfect tea party for people and he's having people play specific roles. Uh, whether or not it's from, uh, I have a hard time believing that all of these people are actually going to be able to play specific roles in Alice in Wonderland's Tea Party, but it I, seems as if they are actually going for the Tea Party. I imagine that he was trying to recreate that date, yet yeah, Alice, and trying to recreate that that first time. That actually is that's a good idea. I didn't I didn't think of that, and that's probably that's a good that's a good like that's a good likelihood that that is possible. Um, but it just, it's still, we, we're going to obviously, I mean, this is not just a one-off issue. This is going to continue for a while, but overall, I thought the flashback worked well. Yeah, I, I liked the flashback. Um, and I think Don brought up an interesting point about it possibly being sort of in his head or hallucinations, which I hadn't thought of. I just really liked the, I think there's a few times in this issue where what I was expecting didn't happen. There was... The things where I thought, you know, oh, he's going to have a bad childhood and then like a sucker, you know, I, I believe that. And then, and then <laughs> it got switched up and I was like, oh, okay. And <laughs> I kind of felt almost bad in the way for uh, stereotyping, but I, I liked the change. And similarly with uh, Batman and Gordon in, in Gordon's office, um, where Batman's still there and Gordon, <laughs> they're just like, oh, okay then. Yeah, right. I'm going to go now. And I liked that. Um, it's quite lighthearted and actually made me laugh. So whether that will still be in the next issue due to the events of Batman Incorporated number eight, I don't know because it might not fit then, but I liked that. So I just liked that. Um, because I, I've not complained, but I've noticed that a lot of, um, Hertz's issues have been similar in terms of, you know, bad childhood and stuff. So I, I, welcomed the change and I thought it worked quite well. Um, I always liked white kids with afros. That was pretty cool. You know, <laughs> GT. <laughs> oh, um, I, uh, I also liked the flashback. Um, and I think this is something that really we, we started to see a lot. Uh, it, it all started with Penguin and then we saw it a little bit with uh, Mr. Freeze and then of course Scarecrow. So it seems like we're going in that direction where each of the villains that pop up, they have some sort of disturbed childhood. 
So now it's sort of old, old hat. And I think you really got to make it powerful and make it entertaining if you're going to be able to uh, pull it off and make it different from everything else. I liked, you know, I was expecting, I, I think perhaps like Joe was, because I agree that, you know, I was expecting different things and it didn't happen, that he was not going to have a friend in the world or that girl was going to go on a date with him and then they get back to school and she'd like make fun of him or something like that. Like this really awful, um, you know, they always play those tricks on, on the kid like that. And so it was really uplifting to see him sort of getting uh, bullied and then that group helps him out. I still feel like there may be something sinister that may go on with that group and with Alice. Uh, the fact that he doesn't have a lazy eye makes me think that maybe he's like beaten to a pulp at one point. Um, cause I know that sometimes like just your eye may shift if, if you get in a really bad, like if someone keeps hitting your face, you know, it really damages your brain and everything. So I feel like something like that may happen. But, uh, overall, um, I, it was nice to see more of an uplifting childhood. Still, you know, he, he has, you know, the, the kid troubles that everybody else has. So it was more of a relatable, I think, backstory that we've seen from the other villains. You know, I didn't, I didn't think about that until uh, Dustin uh, brought it up. I think it's actually more likely that these really, uh, like, good ending childhood flashbacks are probably his take on it. Because I can, I can, this characterization of the Mad Hatter would so prefer to see, like, to imagine how he would prefer things to happen. Because in, in the reality, they would actually be the stereotypical, you know, girl doesn't like him. Uh, and bullies, all, all the kids laugh at him. Because it, it's almost too, it's almost too good, be tr- good, good to be true. I personally, uh, would prefer they didn't go that route. But if they did, I would admit they would be clever because it does kind of, it does kind of, you know, take advantage of your expectations in a way. Um, because you know the one, one the one aspect to me that, that that's a little I'm not gonna say too good to be true, but a little bit a little bit leeway for uh, not being real is when the the guy has the bat says leave our buddy alone because that implies that Jervis is not only you know a kid who's I mean he don't he not only wasn't tormented during school but he has a you know it, it implies a certain popularity and um, just by the way the kid kind of looks looks like he's asking on a girl that's a little older than him clearly out of his league. So I would be up for that. I can still see this being reality. And the reason why he became all twisted is because, I don't know, maybe he wanted to do something with Alice and she said no and he went crazy. That, that's, that's perfectly possible. But I would not, I'm calling it right now that it's a, it's a good chance that like this is all in his head. Either way, I'll be down for it because it's an interesting way to, to, to um, interpret the character. I still have reservations about how violent he is now. If you just shot the guy, that would be one thing. Remember, like, you know, use his bare hands to kill people. That is, that is, that still doesn't strike me as in the character, because he's, he's not that, he's not that crazy. I mean, he's crazy, he can be homicidal, but like, he's not somebody that, you know, I could not take in a fight. Let me just put it that way. That's, that's, that's still sort of my reservations about the characterization, but this one was a market improvement, I thought, in terms of setting up the Mad Hatter, and it was really fun to read, and um, those are generally all my, all I can really say about it. I'm just going to bring one other thing up real quick. Uh, I, I just have to throw this out there because it's still being hinted. I talked about this the last time about how Natalia is basically being shoved down our throats every single issue. And I, and I say that... In a loving way. It's, it's at the, uh, no, I don't say it in a loving way. I say it, I say it in a way where it's... It, I'm, 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 probably, I'm exaggerating it more than it really is. It's not really being shoved by our throats, but we're being reminded of the character 
every single issue, even if the character doesn't actually appear. And I just have to say, like, I, I, I swear I said this in the last episode as far as I'm convinced that she's going to somehow become somebody, um, down the line as far as a villain or something. And Batman's going to have to interact with her because I don't see why they, what the necessity for keep mentioning this character over and over again is. Um, but I, I was thinking about this a lot more after we recorded that episode. And I was thinking one of the characters that would, that could make sense for her would be Nocturna, da, da, da. which really, really hasn't been around for a while. And honestly, it'd be a really interesting idea for a writer to do specifically because it's a character that nobody's really done anything with for quite some time. And the last time she appeared in any book was Robin 105. So it's been about 10 years since she was even mentioned in a book. Um, and that was in Robin. And before that, she, she had a big story in the actual main comics, um, as far as in, in, uh, in Batman detective comics. So, I mean, I, I think that it's a possibility, but obviously this would be a little bit different of a take considering, um, the character that we know The really the only similarities between the two is the fact that she has a love for Bruce Wayne. So did Nocturna and they have a very similar name where, um, her name has been Natasha, Natalia, and Natalie in various different uh, versions of her. And obviously, Natalia is not that far off. Now, I'm not saying it is, in fact, Nocturna. I just, I was thinking about this a little bit more and just wanted to throw it out there as a possibility as why we keep hearing about this character. Um, but that's all I wanted to say. So, Batman the Dark Knight, number 17. I'm going to give a total of four out of five batteries. I'll agree. This is a straight. Uh, straight down the middle, solid, enjoyable, four out of five better rings Batman comics. I actually continue to really like this series. I'm going to give this four and a half out of five better rings. There are some more discussion points I would have liked to have talked about, but I guess we're done. <laughs> I apologize for being so uncreative. No, it's okay. Well, because I remember last time, like it seemed like the majority of people were really turned off by this particular characterization of um, of the Mad Hatter, and I just wondered how that progressed, because it seems like it it has for the most part. Uh, but he still has that psychotic side to him, and I, I was still very turned off by him completely, like, <laughs> right-angling that guy's neck. Um, but I thought it was certainly a better issue than the previous one. I th- Well, number one, that little kid. Really? Stranger danger. Stranger danger. That was, was an issue. <laughs> um, I guess his parents just didn't teach him too much about that. Um, that blonde girl, did she pop up again? Because I was just wondering about that from the previous issue. Okay. So I wonder if she will have any impact. Uh, And why he keeps having those auditions, that's really bizarre. But I guess it's just to have players in his little tea party. Um, I I think the only weird thing was throwing Natalia in there. Just that scene just seemed like way out of place. Uh, Let's, we need to keep mentioning Natalia. And I think this has happened in the past two issues. So I think, Dustin, you're probably on the right track. You know, if it's not Nocturner, I think she's going to have some sort of significance because if it leads to nothing, then I would just question why the heck were you putting in at least two pages of comments about her each issue and, and nothing would happen. But I'm actually, there's something weird, like a topsy-turvy day, because uh, everyone's giving this kind of higher ratings. Um, I, I think it's better than last issue, but uh, I'll give it 3.5 out of 5. 
So that'll give Batman the Dark Knight, number 17, a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our last book, Batman Incorporated, number 8. Tanya, no! Problem solved. You left me no choice. It's over. Batman Incorporated, number 8. And for this issue, I will be collaborating with Stella because we were both very emotionally attached to this issue, and uh, you'll find out what I mean in a second if this, <laughs> if this works. Issue is written by Grant Morrison, with art by Chris Burnham and Jason Masters. We open up where the last issue left off. Robin is flying into the city wearing his robot suit when we see Nightwing getting beaten by the Leviathan children. He swoops in saying, What would you do without me, Grayson? and drops some gas grenades, incapacitating the children. As he continues his flight to Wayne Tower, we see the safe in the pool of the building's roof, and inside that safe, Batman is regurgitating a pair of lockpicks, and all the while, Talia is taunting him. Meanwhile, Red Robin comes through the revolving door of Wayne Enterprises, asking the people in the lobby whether everything is okay. He presents his credentials, for whatever reason, to the woman at the desk and asks where Ellie is. Just before a faux janitor is about to hit Tim from behind, Ellie pops out of nowhere and warns him. Red Robin goes into action using a mop and some concussion robber rings, that's what I call guy, to knock out the members of Leviathan. Ellie is able to assist with a fire extinguisher. She's going to be the new Robin. Just, that's a spoiler. But things get worse when the entire atrium is surrounded with members of the Leviathan sporting different weapons. Tim tells Ellie to get in the tank that sits ceremoniously in the lobby, then grapples onto a plane, swings around, and knocks a giant quarter into several Leviathan goons before his line snaps, bringing the plane down on him. A couple goons get nearer to the downed Red Robin when they hear a noise foretelling their doom. Robin crashes through the window of Wayne Tower and is rushed by Leviathan's children and Talia's guards. It looks like they start to get the better of him when he sends a huge electric shock through them. Damien turns around and is facing gunfire, but this time Nightwing bursts through the window saying, What would you do without me? <laughs> as he carries Robin to safety. Sitting behind the reception desk as bullets hail down upon them, Dick confronts Damien about how, about him being there, but he responds that it's his place to be there, and if anyone could get through to his mother, it would be him. As Dick and Damien ready for their fight, reminiscent of their time as Batman and Robin, Damien says that Dick has always been his favourite partner, and the two joke as Nightwing tosses some blackout gas pellets behind him, and the two run into the battle. But oh. then... Amid all the smoke, an elevator, ding! and Damien's monstrous twin emerges with the world bomb trigger, as he calls it, that Talia took out of the safe in the previous issue, and two guards along with him. Nightwing and Robin take the guards out easily, and then both throw a punch on the monster, which doesn't impact him at all. Nightwing tells Robin to leave before the twin grapples him and throws him into a display case. Damien then threatens his brother to never touch Nightwing again, while Ellie sneaks up on the bomb trigger. Damien puts his hood up, letting him know it is time for business. Demanding to see his mother, his twin waves off the Leviathan goons ready to fire and tells his brother, twin, 
rival that. Now you will know me. At, now you will know me. <laughs> As he reaches for a sword. Robin's clone starts to attack him, where Damien grabs the spear in defense and the two duel before the clone kicks Robin into another display case. The clone then advances on Ellie, who grabbed the world bomb trigger, but after a moment of hesitation, Damien shoots him through the heart with a crossbow. We then have a brutal 20 page or 20 panel page of Damien and his clone fighting, where Damien is shot, strangled, and thrown into a wall, whilst he does his best to take down his clone. Uh, with man-bats, but above, on the roof, with man-bats circling the roof pool, and Talia's voice in his ear, Batman emerges from the water. Talia says that Damien was a flawed creation, born from a bottle, a failed experiment. Batman races towards the edge of the roof as Talia continues saying that he is losing everything, and it is his move as he leaps onto a passing man-bat, using it to coast to the ground. And as this is happening, Damien's twin, a flame and fire, impales an already wounded Damien with his sword. The issue ends with Talia crying at the loss of her son, whilst Batman holds Damien in his arms. So I think we should all have you know, a moment of silence for poor Damien. <laughs> I guess the most obvious question would be, how did the spoiler on Monday affect your reading of this book? I think that, you know, honestly, I, I didn't... I, we talked about what we thought was going to happen in Batman Incorporated numerous times, and we really, a lot of us, or the majority of us, were convinced that it was actually Talia who was going to die, and that's what we thought. We didn't think it was going to be Robin. So, honestly, when I heard that Robin was actually going to die before I actually read the issue or before the day it actually came out, I was kind of upset because I didn't see it coming. And honestly, I don't really feel as if the build-up to him dying was there, except in these other issues. Um, as far as Batman Incorporated goes, I didn't really feel like there was a build-up to him dying. It was just, okay, he's dead. Uh, I mean, we see some different things here in this issue as far as him talking with Nightwing and saying, you know, oh, I always liked working with you the best, and out of everyone that I worked with, I thought you were the best partner, and, you know, he, he, you see that, but, like, to me, that was it just, that's felt out of place as far as why was that needing to be there other than the fact that he was going to be dead by the end of the issue. So, I mean, I think that I wish the buildup in the actual series was was better so that way... It wasn't, I'm jettisoning off in the end of one issue and towards the fights like we see in almost every other month with different characters jettisoning off towards a fight, but then the character dies. And it's not to say that like it's not believable because it is, but I think that the spoiler kind of ruined it because I didn't see it happening like it, did, like it actually did. Yeah, I'm with Dustin in that the spoiler really made me want to read this issue so badly. Just out of, like, pure interest. And I blitzed through this the very first time. This is really mainly just a fight issue. There's not really any plot advancement. There's not any really, like, at least for this issue, uh, contemplation on his death. It's just a, a fact of what happens. And I, when I first read that, I kind of wanted to be more angry about it. But really, first of all, I mean, this is just the, this is the nature of the story. The hype and the spoilers, um, shouldn't really affect the story uh, to a certain point, I don't think. I kind of think back to Death and the Family, and I don't... I, see, I wasn't there, so I don't remember if people knew Jason may, have, may or may not have died going into the reading this, that, that uh, four-part story. 
Um, because obviously the, the whole number was on the last page. So I don't know how much that was played into this, but like, to me, it's like, you know, the story's moving along, and then this, this is just the nature of what happens. Like, he just dies. And I, and I kind of respect that as, you know, playing straight with the danger that they're facing because I kind of see what Dustin's like, where like, you know, it feels kind of shoehorned in Dick and Damien's little moment. But considering what was happening and that Talia's playing for keeps, and that, that his twin rival, uh, guy, did kill Knight like, like an hour or so ago. There really is legitimate danger. <clears throat> um, so the hype only made this me made me read this issue really fast and would feel really fast. I was honestly expecting this to be a lot long, longer than it was, and was disappointed that it wasn't longer. But honestly, that's kind of dissipated since then. And the hype kind of—I don't want to say it ruined it for me, but it kind of like it kind of it it. it, it it made me expect more from the issue that I think the issue and the story itself was promising. And that's not the story of the issue's own fault. So, at first I was a bit disappointed just because of that, but I got over it. Um, I... It delayed it for me. <laughs> it delayed the inevitable. Uh, the pain of this issue lasted for like five days for me. And I think people probably are out there thinking I'm being overdramatic, but you can ask Donovan that I was like an emotional wreck <laughs> when I found out about it and, and all, you know, just the entire week. I, I couldn't read it Wednesday and I thought, well, I'm finally going to sit down and read it on Saturday. Um, so the initial like punch to the gut happened that Monday. Uh, but then when I was finally able to sit down and read it, uh, it came together nicely for me. And I didn't rush through it or anything. I think that it was well-paced. I don't think anything was shoehorned in. Nothing really felt out of place for me, except maybe the Ellie girl, just like what her her importance was in the whole issue and her sort of coming out of nowhere and Tim knowing her. But that could just be my ignorance of not reading Batman Inc. before this current volume. Um but I mean, it was still an impactful issue and death for me. I think the issue that I had with it is that all the way through the issue, I was waiting for it to happen, yeah. and that's I think why it felt fast, and that's why I think it it felt very. Cause I mean, well, this was going to be sort of my next question, but it's already sort of been touched upon. The scene between Dick and Damien was I felt very meta, and it was almost like. Grant Morrison was talking to the audience through them rather than them talking to each other. And I feel that that felt that way so much because we knew what was going to happen by the end. And that's why it sort of felt a bit like, oh, okay, yeah, shoehorn that in. And it's why it felt so quick. And I also think that's probably part of the writing style to have it stop so suddenly when he's, when he dies. The only, it's not even a consolation, but the only thing that positive that I can get out of this is that if that spoiler wasn't there I, I'm sure that I would be going yeah but he's not really dead he's going to come back you know next issue so it's and definitive then the huh? and then you would see the solicitations with all the covers yeah I guess but uh so yeah even that I mean when I first reading it and I was like okay so it really has happened and I wanted to read it because you know I want to see how it happens and I I love the series, but it's just, it, you know, I mean, we talked about it earlier. It's just, I, it really was unfortunate, I think, that they spoiled it the way they did and when they did. Yeah, I mean, did you like the scene between Dick and Damien? I mean, I thought it was, I really liked it. And whilst it was, it felt slightly not out of place, but it felt like it was kind of put in there because of what was happening. I really liked the scene and 
the uh you know just them talking to each other and you have a bit of humor in there you have damien being very grown up in what he's saying and then just the really fun fight scene after that with all the art and like i noticed a few callbacks to the batman and robin art in this like yes. there's mm-hmm. there's a frank quietly uh sound effects and then the the 20 page is reminiscent of the uh the clone fight in batman and robin the volume two so um I would say that, like, I, this is when it, when it, when what happens this year was spoiled for me. I did see, there was a preview, but I did see uh, an image on Tumblr where the page of Dick and, uh, the page of Nightwing and Robin. And one thing I noticed is that, like, uh, first, uh, Damien refers to him as Grayson. And then he refers to him as, are you with me, Nightwing? And then he says, we were the best, Richard. So, I, I think that's, a very subtle and very well done way of showing Damien's relationship with Dick more than anything. It's like he says, you know, when it gets gets right down to it, I love this guy. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he's not my father. He was just, I mean, because that's one thing I really like about the Damien character is that Nightwing, or uh, I should say Dick Grayson helped his development. And he's kind of, you know, whether, whether he fully is or not recognizes that. And, I mean, it is meta. It's very, very, like, you know, this is the last time you'll be seeing them, the other, but, like, I think it doesn't matter because it serves the, I think the characters would say this. I think the situation's dire enough because they're right at Talia's door and they're kind of walking to a war zone. I think that no matter what the spoilers have, have done, the situation is pretty bad, whether you get the sense of that or not. So, to me, it was like just, I mean, it's Nightwing and Robin, but to me, it's like Batman and Robin all over again. And I mm-hmm. thought that was a very, very, that's my favorite scene. That's my favorite scene in the entire book, to be honest. And it's not just because of, uh, uh, the, the series itself, like the Batman, the, the original Batman Robin series itself, but just the, the characters just, just bleeding through in all earnest. I think it also shows, I mean, Dick has always been like this. I think he's always been sort of the big brother type to the upcoming Robins, uh, yeah. you know, especially for Tim and everything. And, and I think it's great that Damien, who's just really, sort of this standalone kind of guy who, who tries to prove that he doesn't need anyone shows that, you know, he does have this really uh, brotherly fondness towards Nightwing. And I love how at the beginning he's the one who swoops in and saves Nightwing. And then we see Nightwing come in and, and say the exact same thing to him and, and save him. And I just thought it was uh, well done. My question, uh, you know, when I was reading, I, I didn't even read the entire article on CNN because I was so angry. But the the person who's writing said, but don't worry, readers, because he goes out, you know, in a heroic fashion, protecting a girl. And I just wondered, you know, if you were impacted by Damien's death, what was it about the death that really impacted you? And I'll save mine for last. I have to say that it wasn't really that he was protecting Ellie, if that is what he was doing at all. Um, but what was it about? his death that impacted you? What scenes really got at you? I think it wasn't just that he was protecting Ellie. He was saving the world. I mean, he was distracting his clone so that she could get the, the bomb. And I mean, the other thing, he's a 10-year-old kid. And I think sometimes you forget that. And that page was really brutal. I mean, he's getting shot. And like, you see it. And, and then there's that one page when he almost realizes that that one panel where he almost realizes that it's, you know, it's not going to end well. And it's almost like this, this really isn't a game when he says, you know, mother, please. And I, I mean, I was getting quite emotional writing up my portions of this. 
uh, mm-hmm. for the recap and going back over it again and you, you sort of once you've read it a few times you get over the fact that you know it happens and you really start to read it for what it is and it's it's so well written yeah i i would definitely agree i think that i mean my thing was when he started to basically say mother please and he started saying that stuff directly to talia because she and he said you know i know you're watching stop this um i was really thinking to myself wow uh if Talia didn't cry, I mean, she would be the worst high school <laughs> you've ever seen. Uh, so, but I mean, the thing is, she looked at him from a failed ex- as a failed experiment, um, which is, you know, to me just I don't, I, really bad. But uh, I think the the big thing that impacted me was it wasn't so much that he was saving the girl, it wasn't so much that he was trying to save the world. But he was basically trying to end this this battle between his mother and father that's been carrying on for such a long period of time. And it all stems from from him. And that's why he went to the fight was because he was convinced that he could convince his mother to stop all of this. And unfortunately, at the end of it, he, you know, maybe it does stop, but it stops at the cost of his life. So, I mean, that was what impacted me on Um couple things uh the panel where the 20 page panel where he gets assault you know hailed with arrows and um uh i didn't i did find it just a little humorous where like his reaction was ow because he was kind of little kiddish but i love the scene where he like she kind of spits the blood on the guy and that's totally damien the the panel where he, like he says in a very uh, soft like bird balloons i like, call off at once mother to me that struck me you know this again it's the characters bringing through because you know even going back to batman and son he says, you know, like, like, like uh, I think we're Batman and De- uh, Taya are at an impasse, like, before Taya, like, makes this big explosion and gets to get away. Even then, when Daniel was, like, this evil little boy, he's like, you know, all I want us to do is be together. And it's like, you know, what Joe was saying, this is a 10-year-old boy, despite his upbringing. There's something about that that really gets through to, like, you know, first of all, Taya's completely unredeemable uh, at this point. She's always been sort of like, you know, this sort of like, like anti-villain, anti-hero kind of character. And even now where she's really pulling out for all the stops, I was really being entertained by her. And I still am. I really am liking her as a villain. But by this point, she's completely like, you know, you can't come back from this. There's no way. And like, there's, and I would be really upset if, I don't think there's going to be, at least certainly not for Morrison, but if they played any, you know, romantic tension between Batman and her ever again, because it's totally, it's totally shot out the window with, with this stunt. Um, Batman running, racing to the, the, the ninja man bat and like just diving through his head to get there in time really gets to me because it always seems that like the, for, for a Robin to die, Batman has to not be there. And that scene with like, you know, Damien silhouette. I think that the death scene is really well done because it's not, it's not all that gratuitous. The panels are kind of small and we're not really relishing the, on the violence of this little kid. And, um, I think a lot of comics, I think, I think if this was Batman and Robin, that, that, the fact of the matter is that probably would have happened. And, I, and I'm, I'm appreciative of Morrison and Burnham that they didn't really do that. Because I think Damien goes out like a hero. It's not like, you know, he's, he's pounded to mush. Um, but the last page is what really gets me because you see Ellie's face like saying, he saved me. And you kind of reminded of, of the stakes. And I mean, I was my, you know, I'm conscious, you know, okay, he's going to die, he's going to die. But the stakes, you know, he saved a girl who was saving the world. And Batman's face, you know, it's not just, a lot of times where there's an image of Batman holding a dead Robin, it's a very stoic, you know, kind of grim image, but 
he's torn up. He's like, no, not my son. It's just that image is very, very well done. And it's not, it's emotionally evocative in all the right ways. It says everything has to. The rain is an obvious yet necessary metaphor. The broken glass is, is, is this, is the same. And the way the, the, the little boxes at, at, at the bottom kind of fade out yeah. versus TV continued, it's very, very, very powerful, well done stuff. I mean, uh, say what you will about the pace, but I don't think this could have been done any better. Um, yeah, a lot of things about this death really impacted me. Um, but thinking about Ellie, I don't think was like my top priority in that. I think definitely like Joe hit upon, you know, he's saving the world. I think part of it, he also wants to save his dad who he knows he's in trouble. He doesn't know really the extent of it, but he goes in there. He just rushes in trying to save, um, his father. Uh, crying out to his mom, um, in all desperation, like he's really confident that he'll be able to stop her in the very beginning. And then you see as the fight goes on, like it's, it's a weaker and weaker resolve. And he's just almost, he's nearly begging her to stop, though it doesn't get to that point. I love slash hate the page with the 20 panels of him getting shot by arrows. And for any <clears throat> Lord of the Rings, um, fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, oh, Boromir, um, if, yeah. If you think, yeah, Boromir, who who really, and it was great for that character because at one point he was really like seduced by the ring, and then he sort of like repented from that, and then he saved, you know, the 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 halflings, you know, Frodo and and everything from the orcs, and he just keeps getting shot, but he, he keeps fighting, and I love that. I mean, a ten year old boy compared to like this. 20 or 25 year old man like could he really take that amount of beating but it's just his sheer resolve to keep fighting the good fight and I thought that that was really powerful something that really emotionally wrenched my heart was Talia's yeah just like Dustin said just the words that she's saying they're so heartless and everything I'm like how can you say that about him he's more than an experiment look at what type of man that or well boy that he's become but I think you're sort of uh, given a little something back when she says, you know, she has that little moment, like she does break down in the end, that she's not 100, she's like 99.9% of the way there, but she's not 100% of the cruel sort of vindictive mother. Um, but it was just, it, I think that it was really played well, the entire issue. Um, and even though it was spoiled, I think that instead of just having this huge fight scene and then a death, like maybe, you know, Superman had had that, it was leading up to it, and there were just big moments that went up to it, and then and then you had it. So I've got to say, I'm a little bit concerned about how they play this off because I, I don't want it to be familiar to you know other storylines where he just gets really angry and really violent and always just moping around. But I, I mean, they they need to have an emotional reaction to it. So, like, I, I'm a bit nervous how this plays out. Like I said. I'm very interested to see the fallout though, because they have that bit in there about, you know, oh, Bruce is going to kill Alfred. And then he says, you know, no, this is my place. And, what? you know, um, Nightwing says, when he's talking to Damien, he says, oh, Bruce is going to kill Alfred for letting you come here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, that for, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, Alfred's going to, Kill himself. How is he going to react to this? And I mean, if he wanted to do a death of the family story, I mean, this is it. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see if from this, you know, Bruce like, rejects Alfred or if it just makes him closer because he needs someone 
and you know everyone comes for their support because they all love Damien. So I, I'm really interested to see how they handle this. Um, I, I mean, I hope he's not too angry at Alfred, but I understand you know he might want to put the blame somewhere, and and he did in a way let him out, but. Um, I think just in terms of the fallout, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to hold like, you know, like Batman's dark and never a Robin again, because I think this, this is just, just way too different. And I think, honestly, if DC tried that, there would be morons, so I don't think that's going to happen. But I would be interested because this is actually a good chance for for some development with Alfred, because this is totally his fault. Um, I suppose Damien, if we wanted to, could have overpowered him, but like, it was totally Alfred's uh consent that he went. And... I had a feeling something bad was going to happen when he's like, "I still overpowered me, sir," with that big smile on his face. And then, like the next page, it was a bloody R. I thought something's going to happen, you know, where Alfred's going to regret that. But um, <laughs> it's 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 interesting. Um, I want to see Batman's reaction to this most of all because you know, a lot a lot of the emotion is always carried with the Bat family, you know, Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon, Alfred. But this is, I mean, this is really a chance for Batman to really, really. It's, 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 it's new and di- it's different in a way because it's not just a Robin, it's Damian Wayne. You know, he wasn't, al- he wasn't always Robin when he first appeared. And I mean, he's not even a really a traditional Robin. So to me, it's like, what does this mean for Batman to lose his son? I ne- which is honestly something I never really thought about. The idea that he could lose a child like that is, cause it always carries a different weight. And because of, uh, Tomasi's Batman and Robin, his partnership always carries a different weight because he always treated him like a son, you know. I mean, to a certain uh, varying degree. So that's. I mean, the, that, I'm, I'm looking at that past the last page right now. I'm very interested how Morrison's going to play this off because Morrison is not really a writer to dwell on emotion all that much. To be honest, he really isn't. I mean, he 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 can have it, he can carry it off well, but he's not somebody to really write a silent issue dealing with emotion. So I'm interested in the next one. Like, I, I want to know uh, just how hard he punches Talia in the face. And uh, how uh, this goes from there. Alright, so Batman Incorporated number 8. I am going to give a total of 4.5 out of 5 veterans. Honestly, in my heart of hearts, I would give this a 4 out of 5 anyway. But because of the nature of what happens in this issue and the tact in terms of how it's pulled off, I'm actually going to give it a 5 based on that. Yeah, this is a definite 5 for me. I, I think I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Um, just because I think emotionally, I, I love some of the Batman and Robin stuff more, but it was, it was, it's, it's almost there and it was a wonderful issue. All right. So Batman Incorporated number eight gets a total of four and a half out of five batarangs. That is all of our books. Let's start over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back Books for Beginners. I'm your host John and in this episode we are continuing our coverage of Batman Aftershocks by looking at the Detective Comic issues in this series. This covers Batman Detective Comics 722, 724, 725 and 726 but it doesn't cover 723 because that issue dealt with the Brotherhood of the Fist, which was a major crossover series going on in the DC Universe at the time. 
All the issues are written by Chuck Dixon and feature art by Jim Aparo, William Rosado and Brian Stelfreeze. Like the Batman issues we reviewed in the last episode, these are separate issues that don't interrelate directly, but are all under the same title, so each issue stands alone. According to Comicron, these reached 42, 48, 51 and 51 in the pre-orders charts at the time. They can be found on eBay very cheaply for around $4 to $5. However, the issues aren't available from DC in their digital store or from the shops directly. So, is this issue going to be any good or am I, like Batman, going to wish that I'd never read it? Let's find out as we delve into the detective comic issues of Batman Aftershock. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. We open with a small child asking for her mother. She's watched by Batman and Robin, and Robin says that they have to help her. He takes her to the police and leaves her in their care whilst he searches for her family. In the police office, the girl moves around and she talks to different policemen. Jim Gordon tells her that he's worried about Sarah Essen and doesn't know where she is. We then cut to Sarah, who arrests a worker for refusing to turn on the water to an area of the city. Meanwhile, Robin returns to the young girl and they have a chat and she tells him her mum was with a man called Shaky. The comic then moves back to Gordon, who complains that he is always the last to know after the phones go back up. However, he receives a phone call from Sarah on a mobile phone and is delighted. She tells him that she is currently stuck in Tricorner, but she is going to be on a boat back to Gotham soon. Whilst this is happening, Robin heads to the Penguin's Lair, who, after some persuasion, gives up the location of Shaky and the girl's mother. However, when Robin arrives, it appears that they are leaving town. The woman declares that she never wants to be anyone's mama ever again. She does ask, however, if the girl had a doll with her, to which Robin answers no. However, when he returns to the girl, the doll that she did have contains a large amount of money, and the issue ends with the girl being adopted by her grandparents. Issue 724 opens with two people stealing some copper piping when they are stopped by Batman and Nightwing. They discuss life in Gotham, and we then move to Lucius Fox and a sculptor talking with Bruce Wayne about the problems in Gotham and their attempts to set up a memorial. Bruce rejects the design, wanting something more positive. Meanwhile, a successful actor called Devlin is complaining about how his trophies keep falling off and that the builders keep shutting the power off. The builders turn out to be Alfred and Harold who are fixing Wayne Manor. Tim asks where Batman is and Alfred says he's in town. We then cut to Jim and Barbara who share a moment before it cuts to the mayor who is quizzed by the press over the city and she breaks down. Meanwhile Lucius tells Bruce that he was too mean to the sculptor and Bruce says that he's sorry, and he and Fox work out how to use his finances to help the city. However, Devlin doesn't feel the same, and he threatens to sue the Gotham City Department, who wants to demolish his building to allow trucks through. 
However, in the dark of the night, Batman uses a digger to clear the building from the road, and the issue ends with Bruce talking to his parents' grave. In Detective 725, we open with Nightwing and Batman talking and reminding themselves about the old days and how much easier it was then, as they watch a riot break out over the food queues. He intervenes, spraying them with turpentine and guano, which stops the riot. However, Batman is still despondent about the city, saying that he's not sure it'll be fixed, because a lot of people are leaving, and that means that the city has a smaller tax base, and that in itself is affecting the rebuilding effort. Dick says he's thinking of becoming a cop in Bloodhaven, which Batman thinks is dangerous, especially because Dick will be forced to use a gun. They then move to the tri-corner, where Batman says that because these people have to stay, they are rebuilding, suggesting that he'd like to force everyone to stay as well. And he feels that, like them, he can do more good as Bruce Wayne than as Batman. They then talk about being Batman and how it has changed him, but also that he is grateful for Dick and Barbara's work, as well as Tim's. But he says ultimately they, especially Dick, are actually better than him. And before the moment can get too emotional, they are interrupted by gunfire. And the issue finishes with Batman and Nightwing swinging down with the ghosts of Batman and Robin behind them. 726 starts with Batman jumping off a motorbike into gunfire. We then cut to Batman an hour earlier heading to Arkham and the Joker's cell. They talk about why a person in the cell next to Joker, called Sherman Stroud, was found dead and the significance of the date. We then move forward to Batman dealing with people who are trying to kill him. It then moves back to the Joker's cell. They talk about what he was up to and we discover he is searching for a missing girl who only has a few hours to live because Stroud buried her alive. The Joker finally agrees to play along, and he tells Batman that Stroud was a Navy man. Batman deduces that Joker and Stroud communicated using Morse code, and that the Joker found that he was very suggestible, and so told him to add a little girl to join his mother in heaven, who Stroud was in Arkham for killing. Joker tells Batman that the girl is in the trunk of a car at the harbour and the issue ends with Batman taking out the guards who were trying to kill him and he rescues the little girl. So that's Batman Detective Comics Aftershock. I thought that this really was what the Doug Monash Batman comics should have been. This was interesting, this was different and this was new. It's great writing all the way through and it really explores Batman's relationship with the city with Robin and Nightwing and with the Joker as well and we see some great moments together Batman does slightly start to despair that things will never get fixed and whilst I was angry and annoyed at that being in Batman Aftershock and also quite critical of it in Cataclysm I felt that that was too soon and too quick for him to be so despondent. However, this really felt like we'd moved on a few months, maybe six months to a year. And I could understand that that was how he would be feeling after all that time. And with it still not being fixed, I would feel despondent as well. And Batman's trying to help. And he's so used to things being fixed quite quickly that maybe something taking so long would be an issue for him. 
but of course that's just my thoughts on it. I really loved the art all the way through. You saw characters actually standing on buildings, and those buildings sometimes crumbling underneath them. They weren't sure-footed. They didn't really know what was going on. Jim Apro especially added in a lot of those sequences, because it showed that Gotham was damaged, and that even the superheroes were struggling. Buildings, and they say this quite a lot, buildings that they once were certain were stable are no longer stable, and it's a real danger. And that was really, really nice. I still ultimately don't buy this concept, though. I don't enjoy the idea of cataclysm. I think if this had been an earthquake that had stretched a couple of issues, maybe looking at these ones, I would suggest maybe four. Specifically, if they'd been written by Chuck Dixon, I think this would have been really interesting. And it could have certainly been something that was a little bit different and a little bit better but I feel that by stretching it over so many issues they are really really dragging it out it almost feels like they don't quite know where to take it or what to do I do think actually these were probably better as standalone issues and I think the difference between Chuck Dixon's work and Doug Monash's work is that Chuck Dixon really understands the characters. For these single standalone issues to work, you really need an emotional engagement. And that's what we got with these issues. Doug Monash is very action-packed, very loud, very brash, very screaming in your face. And I find that quite annoying. And I think that ultimately he can't write the same emotional stuff, which is why I felt that he would have been better served probably by having a big overarching story that was set in Gotham as it crumbled, but had some kind of storyline to go with it. Whereas I think these, because of Chuck Dixon's writing in it, and also to a large extent the art, they had this emotional connection which made it interesting to read and made you think about what was going on. It wasn't trying to be action-packed and big. In fact, rarely did anything happen that was on a large action scale. I would certainly think that these were scaled down. And to me, it's very reminiscent of Scott Snyder's writing in that they both work better when they're writing psychological and about emotions and about ties with people together. And these are brilliant issues. I highly recommend them and I would give this 4 out of 5 Batarangs. So that's Batman Aftershock the Detective Comics series. Next episode we continue with the Aftershock storyline and we'll be covering Shadow of the Bat 75, 76, 77, 78 and 79. So make sure you pick up those issues for the next episode. So, I've been your host, John. Thank you very much for taking the time out to listen to this podcast. If you want to share any of your thoughts or reviews on any of the issues that we've covered, or maybe you want to discuss the upcoming Shadow of the Bat series, then do feel free to leave a comment in the comment section under the comic podcast and under this episode. Also, you can go onto Facebook and let them know what's going on in the Facebook group that's been set up for the Batman universe. I will read all of them and I will include some of my favourites. So thank you once again for listening. I've been your host John and I'm going to hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. See you next time.
All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Let's get into our listener Q&As. We do have a couple different ones to go over uh, since we didn't have time in the last episode to actually talk about these. We're going to breeze through some of these. Um, so actually, a comment on episode 109 was from Mary. It says, I've enjoyed the podcast for quite a while now. I really appreciate getting info on the books that I do not buy. I was particularly interested in the discussion about Nightwing being taken down so easily by the Joker. The fact is, if we follow the New 52 con- continuity, he's been out on the street fighting crime for a little under six years. Issue number zero took place a few years ago when he was 15 years old. Looks younger in many of the panels, so maybe they decided he needed to be older after the fact for some reason. I guess it depends on what your definition of a few. I've told my three-year-old it's more than two, but less than five, but it's that really time that he has to be, he has to have been Robin Nightwing and Batman. Do you think it's feasible this Dick Grayson would be able to be a convincing Batman? Are the new readers supposed to know or care that he even was Batman? Uh, so I'll answer first. Um, I I think if they, they stick with their, their weird times of this is only taking place in five years or four years or six years or whatever, um, when they say that time frame, it does not work. Um, they haven't really, and I'll, I'll say this, there's been, I, I've talked about the timeline aspect of this for a long period of time, but a lot of the information that we have as far as the timeline comes from the small bit of information that we have from the zero issue as well as um, the small bit of information we've seen from the entire DC universe and how it's supposed to interact with everything else and comments that have been made by editorial at DC. Um, there hasn't been that much mention of how long things are in the Batman books because I really think that the writers are trying not to specifically go along with the entire New 52. This has all been... Uh, all happened within this constrained amount of time. And that's why we don't see the writers really mention that's all that stuff so much. We don't really see a whole lot of mention of Dick's time as Batman, even though it has happened and they have addressed it. They just don't mention it that, that often. We also have seen numerous uh, references to Dick and, and Damien working together. So I think that it's not that they, that it, that it's not convincing. I think that it's it's only unconvincing to me when they sit there and say that everything has happened only in this short five-year time frame. That's when it's unbelievable. Because if Dick was 12 years old or 15 years old, I have a real hard time believing that he'd be able to be in five years, be able to be Batman and take Batman's place and not and be able to actually be able to do what Batman has done, especially since Batman trained for much longer than five years. So to me, I think it's convincing only if you ignore the actual specific numbers of years. You know, I'm going to be honest. This part makes me unfit to be on this podcast, but to me, I really don't go strictly by the new 52 continuity just because mainly because so much of it doesn't make sense. I can't reconcile any of it. I don't think in this, in like the current minds of the current writers that, that much of the previous stuff has really happened. I think that Dick may have been Batman. They may be going by that. But the way he gives rise to character, he's just not... He just, w- he just would not be pulling off the things that he was doing as Batman uh, in those issues. I, I, it's just, you know... I understand how he can just take the approach in the character, but he's he's just too green and not capable enough to be that same character. It's just way too inconsistent. So, 
Um, I think that for all intents and purposes, he basically wasn't, even if they say he was. And if you want to kind of go by that, just pretend he wasn't, because that's the only way that Nightwing, the top, the title makes much sense. Yeah, it I, could I respond- be worse. It could be Batgirl. <laughs> I responded to this on the website, but I pretty much said an amalgamation of what you two just said that, uh, in, in the timeline, it doesn't make much sense. Um, I mean, there have been some reference to it in mostly in Batman Inc. and then occasionally in Batman and Robin. But I, I agree with what Don was saying on uh, issue or on episode. I think it was 109 when he was saying that you know Nightwing's not an effective enough fighter in in the New 52 to really be considered a a, uh, a good enough Batman. So it's hard to imagine him as that when. He's, he's, you know, he's written the way that he is now. So, so you think he was consistently written weekly? Weak as in W-E-A-K-L-Y. Cause I, I know that this is really, it, it started coming up in the death of the family. And I thought that it fit that story just with everything that was going on. He had, you know, he was kind of poisoned with the Joker gas. Uh, Shiva, I can see that being an argument, but that was in the beginning of his career. I, I think that he gets his rear end kicked all the time. I mean, look at that. Who was that first guy, oh, uh, yeah. Seiko, the 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 guy who used to be in the circus with him when they were kids? He he gets his rear end handed to him by him. He, you know, how many times do we see Dick Grayson bleeding all over the place? I mean, that's not to say he can't bleed and he can't and people can't beat him up, but it just he's not written to be a fighter as good of a fighter as Batman. The thing about it is, is just that like Dick Grayson's not Batman. Or yeah. he's not the Bruce Wayne Batman. He's not this all-purpose, like, you know, infa- like, I don't think, I don't consider Batman to be perfect or infallible or anything, but Batman is extremely skilled. Dick Grayson, as Nightwing, is extremely skilled. He's the one that can bail a Robin out of, out of the fire, or he's the one that can take care, of, like, okay, for instance, for instance, uh, Batman Year 3, there was a situation which mirrored a death in the family where someone was beating him with, like, a tire iron or something, and Batman started freaking out. And they they illustrated how different he was from Jason Todd, and that Dick Grayson got himself out of that situation. To me, this current in, uh, incarnation of Nightwing isn't really shown to be the the matured, uh, experienced crime fighter. He's still sort of like, like sort of the young, you know, inexperienced, you know, like let's see him develop crime fighter, which is almost the that's almost the antithesis of Nightwing. Nightwing re- represents the growth that he gained as Robin and he's supposed to be challenged by, he's supposed to be uh, taken back by new challenges. And I'm not going to argue too much about how the Joker went up against him. Cause I do think that that's actually a, a way to get him. But the way, and I said before, the way that he reacted to that and the way that he's, re- he reacted to like uh, uh, via, via Raya and psycho and all that kind of thing. To me, it really didn't speak of the same character. And I, I don't want this to be a, well, they didn't read these issues that I read, so they don't get the character thing. Because I don't think that's fair. I don't, I don't think it's really accurate. But at the same time, it's like, if Kyle Higgins is such a Nightwing fan, honestly, why is he writing him to be this ineffectual? I'm not saying, like, he's, he's, he's not as bad as Batgirl where he just gets pummeled every issue. But in my opinion, there's, there's just a certain level of, of, uh, skill that Nightwing is supposed to have. And, it's been enough to where I'm really noticing that he's not been showing that in this in this current run. I mean, th- I mean, otherwise I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I wouldn't say anything if the, if it's not true or if I'm not noticed it. 
I think that's why maybe it doesn't bother me as much is because it's certainly not Batgirl. Because of all that cr- the crap that she goes through. <laughs> the Batgirl so, stuff is, is, is like non-misogynistic the way she just, just punched all the time. But I can't say that because that's Gail Simone. And Gail Simone's a female writer. Episode uh, 110, we have one comment that we're going to talk about. It says, this episode shows... This is... For, I'm sorry. This is uh, from Alex, and he says, This episode shows why your new format is so great. The Batman number 17 discussion Thank was you. my favorite yet. I agree with all of you. I was ready to write my thoughts on the issue, but I could never do such a fantastic job of articulating it as well as you all did. Every issue of Scott Snyder's run up to this point has always been a 4 to 5 out of 5 to me on story alone. If it wasn't for Greg's art, like Dustin, I would have given the issue 2 to 2.5 out of 5. It wasn't bad, but it was. I was very underwhelmed. I'm glad you guys are enjoying Batman and Robin. Ever since Death of the Family, I've been very impressed with it. The annual is the issue to beat for me this year. It's such an enjoyable series. Awesome episode, guys. I really appreciate your honesty in the discussions and how, and I love how passionate you are about your reviews. It's very refreshing. Thanks. So obviously there's not a lot of questions. Um, it's good to know that there are other people who didn't think that uh, Batman number 17 was the issue of the year, as some people have put it. Or I should say the media outlets have put it. The media. Um, <laughs> it's but, always the media. <laughs> yeah, which is sad because in some senses we are <laughs> the media. But anyway, um, I, Alex, I do want to know from you if you could comment back on this episode. You mentioned that you liked Batman Robin ever since Death of the Family. So I'm curious to know why that is, why you have liked Batman Robin since Death of the Family, and uh, which issue you're specifically talking about. If you're talking about Damien going up against the Joker or which one, or if you're talking about specifically um, just since, you know, Batman and Robin number 17 and the annual from January. So uh, let us know, and uh, we'll talk more about that in the next episode. The last one that I want to talk about is an email. It was sent from Corbin, and he says, Hey guys, I've been a regular listener since the New 52 began. I don't have the money to buy comics on a regular basis, so I really appreciate you guys keeping me up to date with the current comics. After seeing the events in Batman Incorporated, it makes me wonder if Scott Snyder did plan to have someone killed in Death of the Family, and DC came in and told him, if anyone's going to kill Damien, it will be Grant Morrison, since he is leaving soon and he is the one who created Damien. Also, I've heard some rumors that Harper Rowe will eventually be the new Robin. I think that's a mistake. The Batman Robin comic series could benefit greatly from just focusing on the relationship of Bruce and Damien, even though he is gone for who knows how long. Build on that emotional ride that Bruce will go through. Changes he'd like to make. I'd also like for Batman to fix things by working with both Dick and Jason and just take on Tim Drake as Red Robin. He's older, experienced, he's worked with Bruce, and it would be neat to see that dynamic again. It basically comes down to the fact that I don't want a new Robin, especially a foreign character. Alright, so first off, let's, uh, I, going off his first comment, I, I obviously read this email beforehand, and I was really trying hard not to bring uh, Corbin's point up while we were discussing the news of Damien dying in the first place, and when I started comparing it to Death of the Family, but is it possible that Scott Snyder did want to do a negative impact and because of such the close relationship to time that Damien was going to be killed, DC told him to hold off? Thoughts on that specific I think it's comment? possible. 
I think that it's likely that Scott Snyder would rather like make something up and say I didn't want to leave a negative legacy, and as opposed to saying what what might be preventing him from doing that. I mean, I believe him when I say that he did. He rather not kill anybody off. I can see that, but there was a feeling when I read Batman Seventeen that you know there's a there should be something more here. I mean, I was just so surprised that Scott Snyder wrote it the way he did because it felt very restrained. And I'm not going to review that issue again, but like. To me, it, it read that, like, there's, he should know better than to treat this as new. And I was thinking, I think I haven't said as much. Maybe that he did try to put something in there and DC editorial said, no, 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 no. Don't, don't ruin Grant's story or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Um, I believe him when he said he didn't want to kill Alfred. I believe him when he said he didn't want to permanently ha- remove their faces. But maybe there was something a little bit more permanent, a little bit more accessible that was going to be in there. And, uh, DC said, no, it's possible. I, I don't think that he wanted to kill anybody, honestly. I, and, and I don't think he wanted to kill Damien at all. Because honestly, it doesn't make a lot of sense for anybody in the DC, as far as a Batman writer right now, to want to kill Damien other than to serve a purpose for their own story. And Grant Morrison is the only writer that that does it for. So I don't think that Scott Snyder would have killed Damien. I don't know that he would have killed any of the Bat family. But what I do think is that something should have happened that would have been very severe, maybe not necessarily left a negative impact, but something severe enough to make it more worthwhile, I guess, instead of just making it so that, you know, Bruce is so alone, as DC has put it, because quite honestly, he's so alone, but now we already know that everyone's going to come back to, you know, give him grief counseling for Damien. So, I mean, like, to me, it's, what was the point of making him all alone if everyone's going to come back and react to everything that's happened with Damien dying a month later? So to me, it just seems as if making him alone is like the opposite of what could have happened because he wasn't going to be alone knowing that everything was going to happen. I really think that Scott Snyder knew what Grant Morrison was planning way ahead of time, probably before uh, he, maybe not before he started the Joker story, but at least as he was as the Joker story started released to us, because I, I think that Scott Snyder is treated as if he is the head of the bat office as far as writers go. And we've seen that play across with the crossovers that have happened, how they spawn from his series. So, I mean, to me, it just seems as if, if anything was going to happen, Scott Snyder would know about it, whether or not. And then maybe he decided to change the ending on his own before DC editorial said anything because of the timing of Batman Incorporated. I think it's an interesting idea. I would have, uh, before this discussion, would have adamantly said that, no, I don't think he wants to do anything because he seems almost afraid to do anything that will change the, the status quo too much. Although, on the other hand, I think that with the way that DC is at the moment, I mean, we don't really know what's going on on the inside, but we're just hearing about all these ed- disputes with editors and, and creators and people leaving and not being happy. And I think that Scott Snowder is one to not rattle any cages. So if he felt that by saying that or by changing the ending, you know, or, or simply saying, you know, like, you know, I didn't want to do anything negative, if he thought that would then, you know, save him getting in trouble or anything like that, I think that's a possibility. But, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, 
I think we all felt that the ending was slightly of Death of the Family slightly lackluster, but I'm not sure if realistically he ever would have killed anyone. All right, so then Corbin's other comment that he had about Harper Row, we've really we really already talked about that earlier, but I think that his his comment about uh, taking on Tim Drake as Red Robin as his partner, I think it's possible, but uh, the the only issue could be Tim with the Teen Titans because I don't think that is going to work. It can work because it's not as if there's been a Robin who has not been able to work with the Teen Titans at the same time as working with Batman, but I think that it's not going to flow as well as it could as if uh, Tim was still with the Teen Titans. Um, I, I'm i just going to leave my thoughts on that. I, I don't want to see Harper Row become um, Robin, and I, I know that you said you heard some rumors, but I don't think they're rumors. I think people are just jumping to conclusions based off of what has happened in the books and the characters that have been around. Harper Row is a character that Scott Snyder created. Scott Snyder is doing a lot of stuff that's impacting the Batman universe. So it makes sense that people could come to the conclusion that she could be the new Robin. As far as rumors go, I haven't heard one rumor or read any actual rumors stemming from the normal rumor sources about Harper Row actually being the new Robin. So I don't I don't think they're rumors. I think everybody's just seemingly talking about it because it's a conclusion that a lot of us have jumped to as a possibility. Yeah, about um, Tim Drake being Robin, I mean, I don't know. If you look at that cover for Teen Titans, he's looking pretty eagerly at that Robin costume. So we'll have to wait and see. I think that would be a betrayal, um, not only to Robin fans and especially to Damien fans, but... I, I'm just thinking about that discussion we had and and <laughs> how Steph just she really was sort of a uh, a um what is that called a rebound for for Batman and I think it would just be too soon and it would not work out whatsoever. I think that uh, she Harper does have a place somewhere in the um in, in the Batman family, but it's it's not like that. I think that's too hands on and she needs to take a step back. I don't want there to be a Robin for a while. I mean, first, I mean, honestly, it's easier to replace Robin when when he quits because Daddy told him to. It's 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 rough. For, first of all, it's his son. Are you really going to replace your son after a month or a week or a day? Like, um, I think that, nothing that would just make Batman look out to be a, a complete jerk. But realistically, I think that you know, Damien is a character who really made really made a big impact in the Batman books in a short amount of time. And for that impact to mean something, you need, you need a short impact to have a lot of resonance. You can have Harper Road do something. You can have her be like, you know, a costume hero, but we have a Red Robin who's, you know, who's not doing anything. It would just be redundant, I think. I think Harper Road, in fact, I would rather Harper Road be established as her own identity than being Robin, to be honest, because she's, you know, uh, she's tech savvy. She knows science, I guess. I mean, she, and she's, she's not like, I mean, I don't remember if she's an orphan or not. I, I think they're like, she just lives with her brother. She's different. She doesn't really cry. I need to fight crime. So do her, do something. Have her be a herald, like like Dustin said a few while ago. Don't have her be a crime fighting Robin because that's honestly it's, it's a very dumb and lazy idea to me. <laughs> it's an interesting uh, idea down the road, but immediately that's very brain dead. All right. So that is all of the listener Q and A's. Be sure that if you would like your questions answered or you have comments that you'd like read on the podcast, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, 
or you can leave your comments on the actual podcast post over on the website, and we will be sure to go over those on the next episode. With that, I do have one last announcement. It's not really Batman-related news, but it is, in fact, TVU news. You may have seen on the website a lot of talk about Don and Stella, um, as well as having heard them seem to agree with each other a lot more, um, and I've commented on this over the, the, the time that they both have been on the show well, they have some news, and I'm going to let Don tell you what their news yeah, is. Yeah, um, I know there's been a lot of speculation out there for the listeners as to what me and Stella are doing behind, you know, podcasts, whether we are going out now or we should start going out. Um, we didn't really want to say anything in public in case, you know, we were getting ahead of ourselves. But the fact of the matter is, we, we are going out. We've actually been going out for about three years now. And um, the latest news in that is that... I asked Stella to marry me last year, and she said... Yes! Yes, yeah, I said yes. So congratulations yeah, to I'm both of you. I'm glad it's finally out there. Congratulations. So we have obviously known about this for a while, and it's something that John nearly let slip um, a little while back. But uh, Stella, why don't you tell us exactly how uh, it happened? Yeah, well, Don and I, we were visiting our um, LCS, our local comic shop, uh, because we usually do that every Wednesday to really get the issues hot off the shelves so we can, you know, read them and then get ready for TBU and everything. And so this wasn't really anything weird that we were going. So we go in, we're browsing, you know, through the back issues looking for anything good. And Don brings over this comic to me and I look at it and there's a picture of Dick proposing to Babs. And of course, you know, being a shipper, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. And I turn around and there he is. He's down on one knee. So... As as uh, obviously this is something that has been in the works for a while, as they said, Don actually proposed last year, and we've all known about it. But we were actually trying to figure out how many of us were actually going to make it, be able to make it out to the wedding. And uh, most of us are actually going to the wedding. A lot of the staff will actually be in attendance at the actual wedding. And Stella and Don have actually asked me to have my son be their ring bearer. So, Stella, when exactly is the wedding for those who are... Yeah, it under- is going to be uh, the 23rd of March, so it's actually coming up. Um, it's a Saturday, and it's kind of in the spring. I know some weird winter weather is still sort of surrounding us, but I'm really hoping and praying for a nice, uh, sunny and just spring-like day. And everything's finished. It's all in place. You know, the invitations are out, and we're all set to go. And I'm definitely nervous, uh, but I'm really excited to... I mean, this is the the first day that will be the rest of our lives with really, you know, my best friend and and love of my life, Donovan. All right. So now I'm sure some of you have been are, are excited that this is actually being announced because some of you have actually commented this on the website when we talked about uh, we hinted at some of these uh, things in some of the previous specials. Um, obviously, it's coming up real quick, and the reason why we're announcing this is because. It's right around the corner, and Stella and Don have actually graciously invited us to record some of the ceremony to bring you some of the highlights from it. So, because the wedding is, in fact, March 23rd, the coming weeks, uh, between one and two weeks after that, will bring you some of the actual ceremony, so that way you guys can uh, listen to the ceremony. I will say that the Batman universe, not necessarily the site, but Batman Universe in general does play a part in the wedding, and that's kind of exciting for me, and I know some of the other staff members, so make sure you keep an eye out on the Batman Universe specials feed. So with that being said, that is everything for this episode. 
You can head over to the website to find out all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video game, general, and of obviously the comics as well. You can also find a number of editorials from our staff over at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube to find all the latest news and videos from the Batman Universe, as well as look for our brand new Facebook group where you can actually discuss all the events happening within the Batman Universe with other Bat fans. Uh, the group has actually only been up for just over a week by the time we're recording this, and there's already 50 members up on there, and they are discussing stuff on a daily basis. So it's uh, kind of the new forums for the new new era of the web uh, of the website because we got rid of the forums because they just weren't active and now we're utilizing Facebook for the same thing that we we used to utilize uh, the forums for so be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer we have numerous different things that we've released uh, within just the last couple of weeks so you can check out all of the podcasts including bat fans taking flight back over Oracle and as well as the commentaries. So take a look at all of the different podcasts that we have to offer over on the website. And as I mentioned, you can email us at podcast at thealbamauniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns, or leave those questions, comments, or concerns on the comment section on the podcast post. So that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. Stella's fiance. This is Joe, the third wheel. (laughs) (laughs) This is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. See you guys at the altar. What was your first reaction when you heard of Grant's plan? I threw my hands up and yelled, Khan! Actually, I knew Damien was going to die. <laughs> I thought he just woke my parents up. Awesome. Because Damien is killed, or does he kill Damien too? I, I just that, that that entire cover just doesn't make any sense. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the, the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> for some odd reason, just as like a, a reason for Kid Flash. Oh, I can't say that. I was gonna say Kid Flash to get a heart on. <laughs> I would have said if you did. <laughs> You know, a reason for Kid Flash just to get a little horny in the issue. So, I mean, like... Can I, um... We can cut this out if I sound like an idiot, but did we ever learn how Joker knew about Raya and why to use her? Nope. Okay. Uh, I just assume that he knows her identity. Good job. I do have... I have a problem with, you know, the angle of Raya's body because it's just there to show her cleavage. And the fact that she's yeah. dead is actually kind of disgusting to me. It's like, <laughs> look, look, look at her boobs. He has sort of, I, I, I was about to say a Jew for that's probably not a nice thing to say. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was gonna come out bad. Where he sees Nightwing getting beaten by the la. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's start again.
We open where the last issue left off. Robin is flying into the city wearing his robot suit when we see Nightwing getting beaten by the Leviathan. I'm going to do some tongue exercises, but I'll mute for that. No, why are you muting that? <laughs> That's a good move. It, it wouldn't be giving cunning list to the air. I'm alright. I'm sorry, still. 4.5? 4.4. You monster. I'm sorry. Was I the only one who didn't give it a 5? No, I Oh, okay. 4.5, but I don't give 5. You don't give 5. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell my students. I don't give right. 100s when they wonder why. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. And then the other cut. Yeah, I figured you're too con- you're too uh, wrapped up in talking about Spider movies. <laughs> oh my god! Poor Donovan. Stella, you you have to let go. Steph's not coming back. Don't say that, dastardly man. Um, Don, I just want to tell you, you don't have to say everything you already said earlier. I'm just what? telling you that. Well, now. okay. I can't believe you're going this long. Oh. Yeah, I know. Well, to me, it's that. like... Did you say lazy eye? I, I hope I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> no, you just said lazy idea. Just kidding. She's just uh, messing with you. Have a nice day.